minimalists. <laughs> You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast, a podcast that welcomes anyone but isn't for everyone. It's for you, patrons. Today we're, we uh, we got some bad bad advice. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Some bad advice. Before we get into that, actually, Ryan, because we have a bunch of bad advice that people wrote in and, and gave us some of their worst advice, I um, have some more about less. All right. This is the segment where we read an article or two and uh, use it as a jump-off point for a discussion. I thought this one was fascinating. I forget who sent it to me. Maybe I found it over at minimalist.org, or maybe it was one of our patrons that sent it in. But this is from Vox, and it says, What we're leaving behind after the pandemic, from sweatpants to alcohol. Ten Americans on the products and behaviors they won't bring into the next chapter of their lives. Mm. What I like about this is it's an individual pursuit. And the question is, you don't need a pandemic to start questioning these things. What things am I going to stop bringing into my life? What things am I going to let go of are going to be different for each of us? Now, for some of us, a pandemic was the opportunity for us to start questioning the things that we are still clinging to. So let's go through a few of these examples. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. And uh, let's see here. So preamble, sitting on their own on my floor, blah, 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 blah. Okay. First person is Claire in Los Angeles. She is getting rid of foundation. She's not carrying that forward after the pandemic. She's leaving foundation behind, which seems like a metaphor. (laughs) I'm leaving behind my previous foundation so yeah. I can move on. Interesting. Before the pandemic, I did not leave the house without foundation. I couldn't stand the pinkness of my face. I had really bad ac- adult acne until a few years ago. Men on the street would often ask me about it or make fun of me. Jeez, that's awful. Mm. I felt embarrassed to be out in the world without makeup. For a long time, I refused to have mirrors in my house. It reminds me of Moby did that, but I think it was like out of... Like trying to remove his vanity, mm. like he his bathroom didn't have a mirror in it. He's an interesting character. Uh, definitely, there's a lot of interesting things about Moby. Uh, what else here? Non-local shopping. This is P- Patricia in Brooklyn, so she is going to shop only locally now. Hmm. Um, so We've been. Sa- I mean, we were saying that before. It was cool though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and same with foundation. You are complete without makeup. Yeah. Makeup does not make you beautiful. You are beautiful without it. You can do whatever you yeah. want. Uh, I'm certainly not going to be the guy who says you don't need to wear makeup. You shouldn't wear makeup. But yeah, you don't need to. It's up to you uh, to determine whether or not it adds value to your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, what is appropriate for you is not going to be appropriate for the person next door, but also the what's appropriate for you yesterday may not be appropriate today, like the foundation thing. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, J. Cole's Crooked Smile. Yeah. It's a good song. Yeah. About, yeah, why would, yeah, why would you, why would you cover up what God made? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but speaking of buying local, what was that essay we wrote, like, back in 2013, 2014? Uh, mm. Shop like a minimalist or spend money like a minimalist oh about the economy yeah it was a stimulate the economy like a minimalist that's what it was yeah Yeah, i did a um let's talk about less version of that video on youtube but yeah it's basically the same thing it's about you know of course what we're saying is not never buy anything anywhere else that's the type of advice right Mm -hmm. it's a prescription and so, oh, by the way, you were going to say we uh, on the minimal episode earlier this week, you wanted to change your minimal maxim. Oh, yeah. I wanted to change it from, let's see, when my minimal maxim was all advice is bad advice. Yeah. When really it should have been all advice is flawed advice. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and to be clear about that is because 
uh, the position of the person giving the advice is always from a pedestal. Mm. And, and so, of course, there's a, even that in and of itself is a flaw, right? right? Even if the advice is, quote, unquote, good advice, it, there is a flaw within the sort of method. In fact, the method ends up being the problem. Yeah. Let's talk about... Tobias in Oakland, he's leaving behind his Apple Watch. Well, I never had one of those, but oh my I can Im- imagine how intrusive an Apple Watch would be, especially during a, you're just sitting at home and it's like, bing, bing, bing. It's like having a little kid who's like just tapping on you all day. There's a metaphor there of like, I knew I didn't need an Apple Watch when they came out. Right. But this person had to buy an Apple Watch experience using it to realize they didn't need the Apple Watch. In fact, it was making them miserable. Right. And the only way to remove remove the misery was to subtract. Yeah. It wasn't about, you know what I need to do? I need a newer Apple Watch. Right. I need a better Apple. You know what I need? I need better apps on my Apple Watch. Yeah. That's going to make it better. Yeah. No, the betterment, the fixing is the problem here. If you simply remove the Apple Watch, you've removed the problem because you've eradicated the problem. You didn't fix it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, good job, Tobias. Who else here is getting rid of some stuff during the pandemic? Apple Watches and foundation and local shopping. Uh, or non-local shopping, rather. And by the way, th- that's not to say that we're we're saying don't buy from Amazon ever. What Ryan and I do is we opt instead to support local businesses when it's a viable alternative, yeah. right? And so I have a book shop that's right next to me. I'd rather buy a book from the local independent bookstore mm-hmm. than buying one from Amazon. Does it mean I'll never buy a book from Amazon? No, of course not. Yeah. Does it uh, mean you'll never shop at Amazon? No, of course not. Right. But I, uh, because th- that's another type of prison. Mm-hmm. I'm never ever going to do this. Abstaining from the thing tethers me to it. Yeah. In a way, yeah. right? Now I understand it sometimes. Like there's a piece of me that wishes. You know, we talked about DMX on the the minimal episode this week. I wish he would have abstained from, you know, methamphetamine and and cocaine and and, and what I don't know what he actually ended up overdosing yeah, on. Me but it it. Because if he would have abstained from that, like yes, he would have forever been tethered to it, but he would have at least still been alive. Yeah, it's inter- well, yeah. So it's interesting that in his position, because it took a long time for me to realize that like I was okay without drugs, mm-hmm. but for many years there was like this constant misery I had. This, and I guess in a way I'm still tethered to it, right? Yes. Um, but but yeah, it's inter- it's it's funny because if he would have abstained from the drugs, he would have been giving up one problem for another problem. I think it's a much better problem to have. It's a healthier problem to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's interesting how it still leads to a problem. So uh, maybe I would look at it from my perspective. Like I don't abstain from alcohol. Mm-hmm. I've never had it, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't. I, I I don't actively not have it. I just don't have the compulsion to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I did have the compulsion to have it, I'm, I may have to abstain from it because I know that I'd be an alcoholic immediately. Like, I just yeah. know my own tendencies, and yeah. I, I'm an obsessive person. Plus, both of my parents were alcoholics. Like, yeah. it, it's there's a genetic component there as well. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, alcohol is the next thing on the list. <laughs> this is uh, Octavia in Los Angeles, and she says that well, my birthday was on March 16th, the day things started to get really serious in Los Angeles last year. My partner and I bought a bottle of wine to celebrate, and that's when I realized that drinking only made me feel so much worse mm. about an already bad situation. Yeah. There's, there's a an exercise that I've, I've heard of that when you think about 
any of your most fun times that you have with something you're addicted to. So alcohol could be a good example of this because it's yeah. socially acceptable addiction. Yeah. Uh, we, we need the social lubricant. We go to the bar. This mm -hmm. is addict behavior, by the way. Mm -hmm. It's just socially acceptable addict behavior. Go to the bar in order to be around people. My wife was this way, and she's talked about it on uh, our podcast, How to Love. She, um, In fact, the thing I realized, I wrote this down in the show notes, Ryan, mm -hmm. that um, you and I are so different, and that's why we work. Bex and I are so similar, and that's why we work. Mm -hmm. there, there's something about, like, it's either... We need to be, you know, so even if you just look at personalities, right? Mm -hmm. You're a ENFP, I'm an ISTJ. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I'm an INTJ, so that, that one letter fluctuates. The other ones are always dramatically to one, skewed to one side. Mm -hmm. But Bex is almost the same personality as me. I'm a little bit more de detail-oriented. Whereas with me, so it makes that particular relationship work well because we are finishing each other's, Sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's funny? This is a good example of all advice is flawed advice. Because uh -huh. uh, you could give the, you the advice of a partnership works best when you have two similar personalities. Yes. That's true. Yes. You could also say a partnership works best when it's two completely opposite personalities. Yes. That's also true. Right. And, and, there's, there's, and what that also does is it discounts all the magic that's part of the relationship mm. that has nothing to do with the opposite or the sameness, right? Yeah. There's, a, there's a synchronicity that you can't quantify, mm. but it is the truth, right? And so that's why I don't have the advice on the other side. I have this observation of like the two people who are closest to me in my life are the same and opposite depending on who they are. And, but in many ways, like you and I have a much more similar sense of humor than Bex and I do. Yeah. You and I have like, but oh, right. you yeah. could quantify it that. It just makes me think about how I always forget how Bex takes things literal. She's so literal. Literally. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, although I get Mariah on it all the time, you make it. Yeah. I don't forget. What the heck were we joking about on Sunday about brunch? I don't know what it was, but I made some kind of joke and everyone was laughing and she was like, wait, are you serious? Like, is that really what happened? Is that really how it goes? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. You take things literally. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. yeah for sure. Yeah. So um, alcohol is one thing people are leaving behind because you do this experiment. If you go to those same settings where you really enjoy them with alcohol, you do that without alcohol and you realize like, oh, I can't stand to be around these people. That's a problem. Oh man, that is a problem. It's like my, that's why I was so addicted to pain pills, man. Is like my I couldn't be around my significant other unless I was high, and when I wasn't high, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I don't want to be with you. And at first, you thought the problem was not having the pain pills, right? Exactly. Instead of like, wait a minute, what yeah. is going on around me? I remember, I remember actually calling her a year into us dating. It was almost a year, uh -huh. and I remember having this epiphany of like, "This isn't this isn't going to work." Like I just started thinking about all the just all the things that weren't going to work with the relationship. Yeah. And I called her and I'm like, I don't, this isn't going to, I was like kind of freaking out. I'm like, this isn't going to work. Like I just had this realization. Here's why it's not going to work. Right. And she was like, oh, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Four years later, we did not have it figured out. That's the problem. In fact, when we try to figure things out, mm -hmm. what do we do? We talked about this a bit on the minimal. We add. Mm. Oh, you know, we'll do. It, it, the problem is we don't live in the same city yeah. or, or, you know, we don't live in the right house. Right. You bet what Bex's problem was in her mar in her first marriage, they didn't have a kid. Oh wow. Yeah, right? And so the same year she had a kid, they also like bought a fixer up her house. And we often try to fix our relationships by proxy. Mm. 
it's the it's the antithesis of love people use things it's like use things so that we can love people yeah no no no, no. like the the tools don't help we don't understand love in fact we're going to talk about that a little bit later uh we, we think that we can figure it out mm. and that ends up becoming a new problem we've just invented a new problem we'll figure it out right oh. i didn't even have something to figure out before oh wow you didn't there was nothing for you to figure out the, the relationship was not simpatico right that's okay right sometimes when you mix two chemicals together there's a chemical reaction there's like an explosion in the lab those chemicals by themselves are completely stable right they don't become quote-unquote toxic until you've merged them yeah that's what happened to you it's not that the the person we'll call her cindy um right was was a bad person and that so you you were bad it's putting the two together was like uh-oh the chemical reaction here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how, man, the 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 demands that she made, and it just got to a point where I was like, okay, like we can't do this anymore. Like the demands are too much. Mm. And uh, speaking of bad advice, I remember her dad like kind of sat me down and was like, you know, uh, and this was great advice for himself. He was like, you know, I was raised, <clears throat> I was raised in in a household where. My parents didn't really take family seriously. Uh, my aunts and uncles didn't really take family seriously. And I told myself from a very young age, family first. I got to put family first. And he was trying to impart this wisdom on me. Advice. And yeah, this advice on me because I was not going to throw away everything just for this one relationship. Mm-hmm. And he was essentially saying, well, that's what's worked for me, so it should work for you. Mm. That's all advice, by the way. Right, exactly. So... um yeah, it's it's just interesting how uh, I wasn't willing to throw everything away. Um, you know, it was it was uh, it just wasn't the right advice for me. But w- what I was trying to get at, and I don't know how I can link these two thoughts together, but when we moved to Montana, she called me mm. and she was like, "Okay, I'll come out. I'll come out to Montana. I'll do anything you want." Blah blah. blah. And I'm like, "Why are you? Why does it take me moving to Montana mm-hmm. for you to start to like make compromises or?" start to be reasonable, which mm-hmm. I realize, like, you know, obviously, let's say I would have been like, okay, come out to Montana. Like, it still wouldn't have worked. No. Um, and, but I also knew that at the time. But uh, it's just interesting how it took her losing everything to realize, like, oh, the family first thing, like, you can't have, if you put family first, you know what you will always have? Family. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're, then you're cutting out everything else in your life. Right. Um, if I put my family first, uh, I would, I would be, I would be stuck in a lot of ways. I love my family. This isn't, this isn't, uh, this isn't a, you know, a, a criticism against them. It's just, you know, my family uses that, that advice of family first. Really it's, it's this piece of advice that allows them to treat each other like crap mm-hmm. and then justifies it. Oh, well we're family so I can treat you this way. Yeah. Where, um, I could do that family first, but guess what? I'm going to be treated like crap. I'm going to treat other people like crap and I'm not going to experience the life that I want to experience if I was to live by that family first piece of advice. And that advice that he's given you is also saying you need to tether yourself to misery in perpetuity. Right. Yeah. Because you're miserable in this situation. At least be miserable with your family. Yeah, which is, it's insane. It is. And so when when we're talking about, about, you know, the advice and let's transform it into an observation or into to wisdom what you know, what can you get out of that instead of fa- put your family first is like well 
if I understand what my values are, I understand who I am, mm-hmm. then I understand what my priorities are. Now, that doesn't, that, there's no instructions in that, right? Mm-hmm. It's not saying do this, do that, but it's saying if you understand, then you can understand, if you understand what your values are, then you can understand your priorities. Yeah. Now, priority is, you know, you, you and I talk about this, but like priority is a singular word. Right. We've Americanized it mm. more, more, more. Mm-hmm. We can't have a priority. What's better than a priority? Priorities. Right. And, and so put, you know, your family first. What does that even mean? Right. Because what does family even mean? You're my family mm. more so than, I mean, I have five blood siblings half yeah half, yeah, half siblings yeah, yeah. Uh, my, my mom and dad only had one kid together that was me right uh, and then but my closest brother isn't even related by blood I mean right you know, he's uh, you know, he and I grew up together and he's my adopted brother mm. and we certainly don't look anything alike yeah um, but what I recognize is that oh he's my family more than any of my just because we happen to share some DNA yeah we don't control that anyway. No. And so being proud of your family, that's like being proud of the country that you live in. Right. Okay, you're born on this patch of dirt, you're proud of that. How stupid is that? Yeah. It's stupid because we don't we don't really get to choose that. Yeah. We don't it, it was simply get and, and so having pride in any of these things we don't even have control over mm. is a way for us to form a identity. It's a false identity. Yeah. That then shapes our direction throughout life. Mm. And no wonder we're ping-ponging around from miserable experience to miserable experience because everyone else is telling us we should be prideful of the family. We should be prideful of the city or the nation or whatever. Mm. You can enjoy those things without needing them. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. I'm trying to think of a minimal maxim here of like compassion is stronger than pride or I pride myself in compassion, not where I live or with my family. Yeah. But I mean, there's something there with, um, and I know none, none of that you really give works. You a pen and a piece of paper in half an hour. I'll figure something out. Exactly. Else exactly. But there is something there about like, what do you, cause we, I think we do have to choose things to stand up for. Right. Like we don't have to do anything. Sure. Um, I, I guess we are, well, I don't know. You know, I, t- what you just said, you're standing up for not having to do anything. I'm not standing up for it. I'm just making an observation. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but there's... If you, if you feel otherwise, that's fine with me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess w- what I'm saying though is like there are things in our lives that, you know, we do f- plant our flagpole in. Okay. I mean, it's just regardless of what that is. Yeah. So the things that we are encouraged to plant our flagpole in is uh, where we live, our country. Mm-hmm. Um, our uh, political beliefs, mm-hmm. our family. Yeah. Getting a master's degree or college degree or whatever. Right. But Home it's, ownership. And there's, no, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. No. Um, the problem is when you start to forsake, you know, a good or can be problematic. Mm-hmm. Got to choose my words so careful with you. No, don't. Because I, I understand the spirit of what you're saying. Okay. Use whatever words you want because I, I know that the words aren't what you're saying right so there as long as those as long as those things that you're planting your flag in or that you're standing up for if as long as those aren't always in the driver's seat like it's there is an appropriate time to stand up for living in america Mm -hmm. there's an appropriate time for standing up for your family there's an appropriate time for standing up for your friends 
Um, but there's also an inappropriate time to do those things. Mm. So um, that's again, I'm just trying to like think of an absolute like what can I absolutely put my flagpole in? And as of right now, I'm saying like I could put that in compassion. That's about the only place I could put I could really plant my flagpole and say like that. That is, I mean, that's just really a you know well, because fancy way. Yeah, and it's a fancy way of just saying if everyone could just love each other, man, we would just have such a better world. But it is true if we all like had compassion for one another. Maybe it's not love, but we could just start with compassion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than planting my flagpole in the 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 um, the job of com- or. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but putting 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 my flagpole in, like always showing compassion, mm-hmm. that's like the only thing I feel really confident in, like saying, yes, that that can be an answer. Well, y- y- what you're talking about here is things that are uniting versus things that are dividing. Mm-hmm. You know, the the story of uh, I forget who t- it's like an old parable, but the, there's uh, um, two guys and there's, they're saying, well, who who are you going to vote for in the next? election we'll call them jim and john right mm-hmm. jim goes to john and says uh hey uh you know next election's coming up are you uh, a republican or a democrat and john goes well you know i'm a democrat he goes oh really well why are you a democrat he goes well because my father's father was a democrat my father was a democrat and so I'm going to be a Democrat. I'm going to vote for Democrats, right? Mm. And he goes, oh, that's why you're voting for Democrats is because your father's father. And he's like, well, what if your father's father was a horse thief and your father was a horse thief? What would you be? He goes, oh, well, I'd be a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> point, being is, point being is that there is... Uh, whenever we start to make these teams, right? And by the way, you could replace that joke with the, the other side. It's not a political joke. In fact, right. it, it's illustrating the fact that as soon as we pick a team, it creates a label. And yeah. then it creates an identifier that separates the other. Compassion doesn't. Love doesn't. Understanding doesn't. Mm-hmm. Seeing the people for who they are it does not divide. Yeah. What I was trying to say earlier was... Yeah, we are moving away from that, the the business of advice, the advice business. And what I want to move closer towards over these next years is the compassion business. Yes. Like that's, that is something I feel really, because any advice that we give, it is, it's great advice for us, but this means it's great advice for the people listening to this. Right. And that's why I I don't look at it as advice. Don't get me wrong. I've given advice uh, a million times and I'm sorry about that. I've already apologized. I'm not going to keep apologizing for it. And it has helped some people, mm-hmm. and it has not helped other people. And my guess is it's probably hurt some people mm-hmm. in, in some respect. Not my intention, but uh, that's what happens when you give advice. Now, if I give observations and it's applicable to you, then great. If it's not, then that's okay. Mm. Too bad. Uh, it's fine, though. Yeah. And so let's get back to this article here because these people aren't giving advice. They're simply saying, here's what I'm letting go of during this pandemic can can i make one observation about your joke that you just made yeah here's what's interesting about that you could ask there could be another joke that says you know uh well why are you you a democrat well my dad was a democrat my dad's dad was a democrat my daddy's daddy's daddy was a democrat yeah and then you know then he could be like well why are you a republican he's like well my dad was a democrat my daddy's daddy was a democrat yeah um and they were really bad people yeah so now i do the opposite right thumbing your nose at your parents sort of thing right but they have the same story but two different yeah 
yeah, perspectives why, on why it. Why are you a Jehovah's Witness? Right. Why aren't you a Jehovah's Witness? Right. Because yeah. because of my parents exactly. were. Yeah. Yeah, yeah s- same sort of thing. Uh, Annie in Providence, Rhode Island is leaving behind her sweatpants, which... Get huh. out of here. Uh, yeah, it's strange. I mean, I guess I get it. Like, you get tired of... Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't... I wear some yoga pants to do yoga around mm-hmm. the house, but they're like the big baggy yoga pants. Um, you just like that sweet yoga butt of yours. Yeah, well. <laughs> yoga pants I just, butt. I take pictures in the mirror. <laughs> I have the flattest butt, the second flattest butt in this room. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> hey, I resemble that comment. <laughs> um, all right. Oh, shoot. Yeah, so she's leaving behind her sweatpants. Why is she saying the chance to dress up is something I took for granted? Yeah, I think that's something that... Yeah, Bex and I realize you know, I own one suit, and I go pick her, uh, Bex up from the airport quite often. Mm-hmm. I don't do it every time, but I'll you wear like a to suit. to be her driver? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I pretend I'm, like, her chauffeur. <laughs> but then she also finds it sexy, and so, like, we get to role play. And, uh, so that that's fun, too. Uh, going to bed late. Well, I don't – here's the thing. Since the time change, I've been going to bed late. I can't help it. I've just been staying up. You know me. I like to go be in bed by 6.30 p.m. Yeah, dude. I Yeah. it's I cannot believe. This is the worst – transition i've ever had from daylight savings two daylight savings two daylight savings i don't even know where i'm at right now (laughs) that's how that's how crazy the transition is no it's like i usually get up at seven or eight and now i find myself getting up at eight or nine yeah and like i'll sleep until nine and i'm like oh i feel like a piece of garbage right now why did i sleep until nine and i'm like oh like just two weeks ago it was eight right yeah now for me it's i don't know why it's worse this time but so I, I'd like yeah, to get up at 3.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. This morning I got up at 7. Slacker. That's like, uh, it, it feels that way. In fact, the, last week Bex and I were working on something for How to Love, like trying to upload this episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was trying to walk her through some stuff. And it was 9 a.m. And I'm like, we just got up two and a half hours. I got up two and a half hours ago, 6.30. The whole day is wasted. It's yeah. only 9 a.m. But for me, right. I'm like, well, we've wasted the entire day. Because I really enjoy getting up at three thirty or four. Daylight savings sucks, man. Yeah, yeah. That's we really need to go what back this to maximum episodes thing. about. You know what? <laughs> Jordan Jordan No More is from Phoenix. Uh, Arizona has it right. They don't have daylight savings time. They're still in standard time, right? And it drives me crazy because I, I hear yes. someone they'll say like, um, "Yeah, we'll do it at, uh, at seven p.m. Mountain Standard Time." I'm like, "Are you in Arizona? Because that's the only place that has Mountain Standard Time right now, right. which is actually the same as Pacific." So, Jordan, your family right oh now they God. are on Pacific time basically for the, the this seven months out of the year, and then they revert back to Mountain Time for the other five months of the year. I have literally thought about moving. Yeah, they don't know. Yeah. Dude, I have yeah, thought about moving to Arizona. Like the like ever since we went back. Or, so are we doing daylight? Are we in? Yeah, we're we're in, we're, we're in right PDT now. right now, not PST. PDT. That's correct. Okay, so ever since we went to the DT, uh-huh. uh huh. I have seriously like thought like I'm just gonna go to Arizona so I don't have to like deal with this weird schedule change that I have no control over. Do you think that's why DMX moved to Arizona? I mean. <laughs> I don't want to say for sure, but probably. But probably. Yeah, I mean, he <laughs> hated daylight savings time. That's that was the rumor, at least. I think that's really what ultimately led to his death. Yeah, because he was back in New York, daylight mm. savings time. Yep, messed yeah. them all up. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> All right, so Dude, we are the funniest people I know. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, Tori is is not going to bed late anymore, and I'm I'm. I like being in bed by 8 o'clock. It's when Ella goes to bed. 
But um, yeah, it doesn't always work out now. Does she tuck you in, read you a nighttime story? No, here's what happens. So we're reading Harry Potter now. Yeah. And so the three of us will get in bed. Yeah. yeah. This is not what I envisioned when I thought me in bed with two women Jesus Christ. 10 years ago. <laughs> it was like, I prayed for this every night, <laughs> but I wasn't specific. I, like, <laughs> that's, that's horrible. Uh, I, um, I really actually, I look forward, if Mariah and I ever have kids, I'm going to read this version of Harry Potter. So Bex found like a illustrative illustrative harry potter book right yeah it's illustrated it's not just like the big thick bunch of words no, it's like it, it's uh, pictures and yeah. yeah some of them are terrifying pictures but anyway <laughs> we're so we go in in bed around seven forty-five. start reading harry potter and so ella's laying in the middle mm-hmm. her, her mom i've read maybe from harry potter once and here's why uh i usually read to her with uh some of her easier books to read mm-hmm. uh i don't know what's happening in harry potter at all but here's why so we get in bed. I'm on the right-hand side. Beck's on the left. Ella's in the middle. We lay down, and instantly, I'm asleep. You're such a Hufflepuff. I don't know what that is, <laughs> but you're right. I don't right. either. <laughs> within, within seven seconds of her reading, I'm out. Lights out. I'm snoring. Ella's trying to wake me up. Oh, man. Wake up. Wake up. <laughs> Dumbledore. Dumbledore. <laughs> have, you seen the, uh, have you seen any of the tweets where Gen Zs uh, are making fun of Gen Y? <laughs> Like of millennials, thank yeah, God uh, we're Gen Xers. We can do whatever we want. That's we're, right. I'm right on the. We're both right on the cusp. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like it was a, this you know Gen Z kid was like, oh yeah, millennials are all like, oh, adulting sucks. I need a glass of wine. I'm such a Hufflepuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I couldn't tell you a thing about. We've gone through four Harry Potter books. I couldn't tell you a thing about it. I don't even know if I've been introduced to Harry Potter yet. I don't know if he's appeared. Within seven seconds, I'm asleep every time. Like, I have no problem going to sleep. And and so, uh, for whatever reason, like Harry Potter just really puts me to sleep. So going th- that's the the trick to going to bed early is read some Harry Potter. Reading Harry Potter. So My, now you're going to bed at 9? Um, it depends. Last night, I, I didn't go to bed till 11. Oh, wow. Which is so late for me. It I, is. I, I mean, when we lived together, I, there, I was in bed before then. There were nights when we lived together back in Missoula, me, you, and Colin Wright, mm-hmm. where I was in bed by six thirty. Oh yeah, and, but because we were writing everything that remains, and like I would just get up crazy. Was sometimes two a.m. and like I just work best in the morning. I love the mornings. I enjoy the mornings. Uh, they're harder for me now because of this disease I have, and I'm in crippling pain in the mornings, which um, is unfortunate. But uh, so it kind of depends on the day. Anyway, back to this article here. Mm. Charlie in Los Angeles is giving away his or giving up his gym membership. Have you done that? What, what's like, going yeah, on with we, that? Yeah, we did give up our gym memberships. Well, I mean, because we had to find an alternative. Yeah. So we did. We got uh, an exercise bike. Um, Mariah has been taking uh, yoga classes online, and uh, the ex- the Peloton is the bike we have, and they have a. You you know you spend thirty nine bucks a month, so I guess technically we still have a little bit of a membership. Sure, but it's thirty nine bucks a month. Both of us can use it, and they've got everything from like cycling to like boot camps to yoga to mm-hmm. stretching to uh, strength training with or without weights. Like you can, like they have options for everything. I mean, like they've really capitalized on the whole pandemic thing as far as like, hey, you don't need to go to a gym. All you need are our classes, and I feel totally fulfilled like doing all of their. Um, all of their classes, like I can build muscle, lose weight, whatever. Um, and I do it from my home. So it's like, it actually say, cause going to the gym before it was, 
an hour in the gym, but then it was like, you know, I mean, we used to walk to the gym, so it was like 10 minutes either way. If we had to drive, uh, which um, when we first moved to LA, we had to drive to the gym. So then it was like 25. So now that one hour turns into two hours. Very quickly. And now it's like, I can do everything in 30 minutes. I remember when we lived in places that have seasons, mm. it's even, it makes the gym even harder because then it's like, you, you're you're dressed for cold weather and you yeah. got your coat on, you're putting in a locker and you're changing in and out. And, and all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, it's three hours from door to door of, of changing and all of these things just to get a 45 minute workout in. Right. And, and it, yeah, it was a bunch of over planning. So I totally get that. I, by the way, I, I discovered this in my own life mm-hmm. when I was, when we left the corporate world, I started working out at the park across the street because right. I didn't have, I couldn't afford a gym membership. Yeah, you've always found an alternative since I can remember. Yeah, yeah. In, in fact, when we were on tour, like we did the whole year tour, like you and I got into pretty good shape from that because it was like we'd stop by rest stops and they always have like jungle gyms or or some sometimes overhangs, whatever it was. We could yeah. do pull ups and push ups and yep. squats. If you do those three exercises and some sprints, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, 18 minutes, you get an amazing workout. Yeah. And so everyone has 18 minutes. Yeah. And, and why 18 minutes? Well, that's when I found out I, was, I would exhaust myself if I was really doing. And so I still do that. Yesterday, I did my 18-minute bodyweight exercise, push-ups, pull-ups, squats. Mm-hmm. I even have a few uh, weights at home now that I incorporate into that. Uh, what else is, what's Katrina giving up here? Airport lounge passes. I don't even know what that is. Oh, that's a good <clears throat> airport. It's like, uh, so you know how Delta's got the Delta lounge? Yeah. That's, I think that's what they're oh, talking okay. about. So yeah, but we, we can get into that, right? Y- yes, but. If you're flying Delta. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I guess, so for me, um, the reason why we, I can get into the lounge is because I have a credit card that's like, hey, you get into the lounge for free. Mm-hmm. But there's a yearly fee on that credit card. Now You're basically paying, yeah, now you don't ever carry any debt, to no, be clear. No, yeah, I don't care. No, no, it's I pay it off every single month. Um, and, and this is where, like, maybe even you and I differ a little bit, but, like, it definitely differs with Ramsey. But I put things on the credit card because it's like, I know I'm going to spend that money. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, and this advice was given to me. It was actually when I was a salesperson, that bottom rung level mm-hmm. salesperson at the telecommunications company we worked at. Mm-hmm. This gentleman was paying with a credit card. He's like, do you have a credit card? I'm like, no. He was like, dude, you got to like get as much as you can out of spending your money. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, he's right. So I went and like signed up for a credit card or whatever. Now, at that time, I did carry some debt. Well, I, I, so it was really bad for me. But for some reason, that piece of advice has stuck with me more than, hey, don't carry a credit card because it's too tempting. I mean, I am. My advice would be don't get a credit card just to get the Sky Miles. Mm-hmm. Like that is that's my advice because I think that I'm an exception to the rule. I don't think that I am the rule of like, well, you could like use it sparingly and um, pay it off every single month. And like I think most people is they're like my 25 year old self where it's too tempting to carry all that debt. And you're like, well, I don't really need this new pair of headphones, but yeah, they're pretty sweet. And I got the credit card. I'll just like pay it off over the next six months. I mean, that is much easier to talk yourself into than paying off that debt every single month. Here's what I'll say. Dave Ramsey doesn't care if you have a credit card. What the, the principles that he set up and these are prescriptive. Mm-hmm. 
they work really well for mechanical things. In fact, I'm going to talk about that in a moment. What Dave Ramsey understands, though, that most of these budget guys don't get, mm -hmm. budgeting doesn't actually work. Mm. And what I mean by that is if you don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, mm -hmm. you will always default to your programming. And so I got that same advice when I was, whatever, 18. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And starting 18 is when I got my first credit card. I write about it and love people use things. Yeah. In fact, let me see if I can find it. It's the beginning of the money chapter. So uh, <clears throat> while you're here, looking that it's up. It's right here. Oh, great. I got my first credit card the summer I turned 18. And I spent the next decade spending. <laughs> my shiny new MasterCard made it easy. If I couldn't afford something, that was fine. Finance it. Most purchases were aspirational, as if attempting to buy my way to the next tier of success. You can't make money without spending money was the occult mantra I'd heard at business meetings and conferences, and boy, did I take it to heart, mm. even though I never really understood what it meant. <laughs> it sounded nice, a simple justification for financial mismanagement. I wasn't living beyond my means, I told myself. I was living within the means of my future self. <laughs> I wasn't irresponsible. I was just spending the amount of money I'd be able to make after the next promotion, oh pay raise, God. annual bonus, or commission windfall. My paycheck was spent before I got it. Every single paycheck when I was yes. in the corporate world. Until then, my credit cards would bridge the gap. Yeah. When my first credit card was maxed out, it was easy to get another and then another and then several more over the years until eventually I had... This is true. This is not a novel. This is nonfiction. I had 14 pieces of pl maxed out plastic in my wallet. Mm. 14 maxed out credit cards, right? Wow. Everything from Visa and Discover to Diners Club. To and Osterman Jewelers. <laughs> and Macy's. Yeah, I probably <laughs> did have some sort of... Yeah, in fact, I guarantee I had a... Um, mm. Like a K or one of, one of those jewelry... Because uh, finance the wedding ring. I f yeah, I financed a watch. Me too. Because my dad was very adamant about this is how you build credit, which is actually one of the pieces of bad advice that someone uh, wrote in here. That yeah, we'll their example of bad advice. Yeah, but it's like I, I could have. Yeah, it's yeah, I could have saved myself so much pain if I didn't get that Osterman's Jewelers <laughs> credit yes. card or the fourteen credit cards that I had. Right. Mm. So, and that's what Dave Ramsey's talking about. These is. What we do is we justify anything, and then it becomes, ah, just make the one compromise, mm -hmm. and then boom, 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 14 pieces of maxed out plastic, a decade of debt, misery, pain, suffering, misunderstanding, everything from Visa and Discover to Diners Club and Macy's, each of which made my purchases hassle-free. Or so I thought, mm. because I could acquire new clothes and home decor and a catalog of impulse purchases without spending my money. Mm. At least that's how it felt each time I swiped. Isn't that funny, too? Because back then it was like, well, no, I could afford this, but why not put it on the credit card? Because I don't want to take the money out of my account. Mm -hmm. what, what, what are you talking about? Who's going to pay for this? Oh, I'm punishing my future self. It, it, it's the thing we talked about earlier, mm. uh, getting what I want or forsaking what I want to get what I want now. Right. Yeah. And so if I, it, it was as if I'll use my credit card had become my de facto slogan. There was, there was actually a longer passage. We had to remove it from the book because of the sake of concision. But there's that scene in South Park where it's the Japanese businessmen who are impersonated Americans. And they hold their eyes open real wide. Yeah. And they, they say, Oh, I'm doing my American accent or my American impression. <laughs> yeah. 
oh, hello, I'll just put that on my credit card. (laughs) And that was my de facto slogan. Yeah. Concerned with the future, unconcerned with the future harm caused by debt and interest rates and the anxiety associated with both, both I used credit for almost every purchase and it only got worse, not better as I thought it would as I made more money. The temptation of debt has a, has a way of erasing our identities, replacing them with the vast struggle to be like everyone else. I got my first promotion at age 22, the same year I built my first house. I bought a Lexus at 23, a second Lexus at 24, a Land Rover at 25. Each time I thought satisfaction was around the bend, but as I rounded the corner, the adrenaline faded and the only thing in the foreground was yearning. Yearning for something better, something different, something to fill the void. I was digging a ditch one shovel full at a time. Mm. And I wasn't alone. It goes on to talk about a, we have a, we interviewed some packing party case study participants, 47 of them actually for this book. We talk about uh, Julie Hamilton, I think her name is. Mm. Anyway, uh, love people use things. Patrons, please, uh, if you get a chance, pre-order the book. It means a lot to us and you are our most fervent supporters. If you're one of the VIPs, you actually get a copy of the book uh, slightly beforehand. But um Everyone else, we'd be really grateful if you'd pre-order the book. It helps us out immensely. Lovepeoplelusethings.net, or you can find it at your local bookshop or Amazon if you'd like, or Barnes & Noble as well. Um, That's what people are leaving behind during the pandemic, Ryan. I wanted to talk about, before we get into bad advice, I want to talk about how changing your life won't change your life. Mm. This is a new essay. It's, It's As of this recording, it's unedited. It actually comes out on our website uh, right before this uh, this episode posts. So you'll be able to read this as well if you want to share it around. It's theminimalists.com slash changing. And it's called changing your life won't change your life. This phrase popped up in my head in a dream. Mm-hmm. And I got up out of bed one morning and Bex was there and I just I ran to the kitchen table. I like writing strange. I have a desk at home, but I in the mornings I like to write at the kitchen table. Mm. And so I brought my computer over the kitchen table and I furiously wrote the first draft. This is like the third or fourth draft at this point. But it goes a little something like this. We can pause me to talk about this as well. Mm-hmm. Human beings are infatuated with habit change. Mm-hmm. But changing one's habits does not change one's life. Because lasting change doesn't work like that. If you desire the simple life, decluttering is a dead end. If you hope for financial freedom, Better spending habits won't get you there. If you want to live healthfully, improving your diet won't make things right. By the way, better and improving are both in uh, quotes there. Mm. I think quite often we try to improve something. It's the adding, which makes it worse. The betterment also often makes things worse because what is it? It presupposes that we're incomplete and, and therefore we need to add more, right? Yeah. Indeed, anything you do to change your life won't change your life. Why? Because if you start with the how, you inadvertently forsake the why. Big mistake. Sure, you may embrace new methods and modalities, new tips and tricks and techniques, and they will improve your mechanics. You can change your habits, clean out your cupboards, pay down your debts, shed a few pounds. At first, the benefits will seem plentiful, Let's talk about that for a second, Ryan. At first, the, benefit, the benefits will seem plentiful. Hmm. So the, I remember when I first uh, started paying off debt, before I 
understood the problem with debt. I figured it was like, it was a mathematical problem. Mm. And so- Gotta make more money. Yes. So make, I can spend more money. Exactly. <laughs> and what happened is as I made more money, I actually gave, became further in debt. And I was like, wait, the math doesn't add up here. Yeah. It wasn't, the problem wasn't the, the, the debt per se. It was a misunderstanding of the actual problem. Well, yeah, man. I mean, it was about how we could afford more debt payments. So mm -hmm. that's why we went deeper into debt. Exactly. Is because we could afford bigger debt payments, which ultimately left us with bigger balances with our debts. And so the reason Dave Ramsey has you cut up your credit cards is because he thinks credit cards are evil. Mm -hmm. it's, it's because he understands that in order to break the cycle, we have to break the program. We've yeah. been programmed to, I'll put it on my credit card. Mm. It's a meme, right? Yeah. The same thing with decluttering. It's not that you we say decluttering is bad. That's not what I'm saying in this essay. People can misinterpret it that way. Mm. It's that the decluttering is a byproduct of an understanding that consumerism is the problem. That's mm. what we go on to say here. Mm. So back to the, uh, the text. At first, the benefits will seem plentiful, but then a day later, a month later, a year later, when new obstacles emerge, you will wonder why the change didn't stick, mm. why the bad habits returned, why the pounds resurfaced, why the debt reappeared, why the clutter crept back. Well, if you don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, you will always revert to old patterns. It's not your fault. It's cultural conditioning. People are programmed to praise prescriptions. We are habituated to habitually enhance our habits. Mm. Think about that for a second. So we're habituated to habitually enhance our habits. We've been told that habit change is what's going to change us, right? Hmm. Well, the next line here is without exploring the depths of our trauma. Mm. So we just say, well, what's on the surface? Let's fix that without figuring out what the real problem is. So it goes on to say, society instructs us to grow endlessly, to make progress, to take massive action, to quote, just do it. Mm. You know, it's a marketing slogan. Just do it. That's so funny. Yeah. But the doing takes us only halfway. And that's an important thing. It's not that doing is wrong, but it takes us only halfway. And then it leaves us stranded. We get so caught up in the doing. You see this all the time when people reach out to you for mentoring and stuff, right? It's, I decluttered my house seven times and now I'm not happy. Mm. Well, because you just focused on the doing. Mm. And so discernment, on the other hand, catapults us to the finish line. Recipes and formulas work well for perfunctory pursuits, for baking a cake or organizing a sock drawer. But beyond the basics, they actually get in the way. Hmm. An instruction manual leaves no room for greatness, no room for interrogating the mess, no room for profound personal breakthroughs. In the real world, the world of constant change in which nothing is fixed. Here's the main takeaway, Ryan. In fact, this is the original title of the essay. The method always follows the breakthrough. So what I'm hearing you say is that massive action, that's fine, taking massive action, but without a deep understanding mm -hmm. of why you're taking the massive action, mm -hmm. then it's probably going to 
fall apart at some point. Yeah, so, so let me give you an example to illustrate that, right? Mm-hmm. That's an absurd example, but mm-hmm. it will illustrate the sure. point. You know, I really am eager to see the sunset tonight. Mm-hmm. I, it means so much. I've got to see the sunset tonight. So mm-hmm. I'm going to take massive action. I'm going to face eastward, and I'm going to run as fast as I can. Yeah. I'm never going to see the sunset. Hmm. It's because I, no matter how fast I run, how much action I'm taking, mm. I don't have an understanding of where even the sunset is. Yeah. All and by the way, I don't. I can only have to take action in that. I just have to turn around. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a, go ahead. And and it's not the doing. Yeah. It's once the understanding, the breakthrough is. Oh, the breakthrough is what? Oh crap! I'm running in the wrong direction. Right. The second breakthrough is, I don't even have to run to see the sunset. Oh, oh, All s- I have to do, is turn around, yeah. and thus so the method, the turning around precedes the breakthrough so there's there's a balance here too because let's go with this metaphor of i need to see the sunset but before i see the sunset i need to have an understanding of what the sunset is where it's at Mm -hmm. so then i'm going to read a bunch of books and now here are 10 different books with 10 different opinions on where the sunset is okay and this is where people get stuck in the Mm -hmm. understanding because instead of taking the massive action they want to have an understanding first. Mm-hmm. They want information. Right. But I think one would learn better from running east and realizing like, oh, crap, there is no sunset there. I've got to do something different. Uh-huh. That that massive action is a much, in my opinion, is a much better action, even if you're running in the wrong direction, rather than standing still and just reading a bunch of different opinions on where the sunset is. Right. Does that make sense? It, it does, but it's it, what it's saying is one piece of trash is better than another piece of trash. And how, how so? Ex- expound. Unpack well, be, that. Because you're right. The re- reading ten books about finding a sunset that mm-hmm. have you're right because they'll also have ten different opinions, mm-hmm. a- and the opinions are the problem. Yes. And the action is also the problem because action often apes the form of understanding. Mm. And so we think we understand because it's hustle culture, right? We even have a, 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 a question later about hustle culture, which we'll get into here. And, and what I realized is like, oh, it's not that action is bad. It's that it precedes the understanding. Mm. And that's what I'm talking about. If we simply change our habits, if we simply start decluttering, mm-hmm. we can't fill the void with decluttering right. or organizing or whatever. But when we understand the real problem, in fact, that's what I get to right now. Uh, so the method always follows the breakthrough, not the other way around. I think this will answer your question, Ryan. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, let's continue talking about it. Sure. Not the other way around. Once you are sufficiently exacerbated by the status quo, once the suffering associated with not changing is intolerable, once the cost of your current state is no longer acceptable, think about the debt that you were in, Ryan. It wasn't about, oh, you know what I don't have? I don't have the right budgeting tool. Mm. No, it was the pain from this, from opioids. Mm. The pain from opioids is so great that when you experience the quantum shift, so the text here says, you will experience a quantum shift in understanding. So once the suffering associated with not changing is intolerable, once the cost of your current state is no longer acceptable, you will experience a quantum shift in understanding, and change will be simple. Of course, simple is never effortless. So I'm not saying don't take action. Mm -hmm. Simple is never 
effortless. But the lasting change that is propelled by awareness is far mightier than any half-hearted action sparked by habit change. Mm. When you realize the truth, clutter doesn't make you discontent. Chasing contentment through consumerism does. A lack of money doesn't make you broke. Hunting happiness through hedonism does. Mm. Food doesn't make you fat. Seeking satisfaction through surfeit does, mm. which is like excess consumption, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's when lasting ch change arrives. The root of your misery grows out of excess. Bad habits are merely a byproduct of being unaware. Yeah. I know because for years I tried to, quote, change my life. I employed the right habits at the right intervals with the right tools and intentions. Yet even with diet plans, budget calculators, and organization systems, I remained obese, indebted, and surrounded by clutter. But the moment I comprehended the real problem, the problem beneath the surface problems, I was able to let go of societal solutions. That's when everything changed. The moment you understand the source of your troubles, an awareness flows through every fiber of your being, and habit change will inhabits change without volition. Mm. That's the difference. The volition is like, I, I need to change my habits. No, 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 no. When you have an understanding, the habits just change because the bad habits wash away. The bad in quotes, right? For once you see the problem in its entirety, you will have no choice but to change. Mm. That's what I'm saying here. Yeah. Once you had an understanding of some of these problems, you talk about your drug problem, mm -hmm. you talk about your debt problem, you talk about the consumerism problem. So they, they changed really when you, the, the relationship problem you opened this episode with. Mm. When you, when you, now at first you understood it intellectually, right? You're like, oh, it's within the first year. I'm like, hey, this isn't going to work. Right. But you didn't have that quantum shift emotionally yet. It wasn't, yeah. But when you had, I did, but it didn't last. I was talked out of that quantum shift. But I, I hear you. I right. Hear you. So you didn't have the shift. You had a, you had an insight. Yes. Which is okay. which, yes. which is helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But when you had the shift, even when she called you and was like, "I'll change everything. I'll move to Montana. I'll be," you knew better. Yeah. yeah. And that's when everything really changed. Yeah. And that's when the actions all made started to make sense because at first, if we say. You, how demoralizing is it when, like, remember you and I were so fat, Ryan? Mm. And it was like, well, let's just I'll work out really hard. You do it one day, and you're like, this is never going to work. Mm -hmm. It's miserable. It's because you didn't have that understanding. I didn't have that understanding. Yeah. But you when you understand, it's like, oh, it doesn't take all, that, all the action that I thought it was going to take. Yeah. Change is actually simpler than that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, like... It's almost there's a balance between seeking understanding and taking action, and all, it's all almost like and it's follows. like we, yeah yeah and um, there oh yes hundred percent hundred percent. But it's funny because sometimes again going with this sunset metaphor, sometimes like you have to try something out, you have to take action, and you think maybe this is maybe this is the right answer, maybe this is the action I need to take, mm -hmm. and sometimes you have to take that action maybe because it's a piece of advice that someone gave you. And you're like, I don't know about that, but I'm going to try it out. And then it doesn't work. Yes. It's, it is, uh, for that specific example, mm -hmm. you have to actually take action and fail in order to get the lesson, in order to understand. Yeah. 
more of what to do. So not like necessarily, and that's the thing. You can do that, and right. it's not wrong to do that. Oh, I'm not but, even saying that's 100 percent of the time. I'm saying often, or or yeah. a percentage of the time, whatever whatever it is. Like that's it does occur. You're right. So think think about like again going with the the metaphor of going east for the sunset. So you're you're running east for the sunset. You're like, oh, okay. I've been doing this for however long. Mm-hmm. I have not seen the sunset. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try. Uh, I'm gonna try a little southeast. Still, you're not gonna see the sunset. Okay, now I'm gonna try south. And now all of a sudden, on your periphery, mm-hmm. you can see the sunset. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. that's the direction I need to go. Uh-huh. So, I mean, th- so the metaphor I guess I'm trying to use is that sometimes you have to like do these these superfluous steps to start to actually see the direction that you want to go. Yeah, I think you don't necessarily have I, to. And I'm not saying you have to. Yeah, there's we don't have to do anything. Right. Right. I'm just saying that um I think I think that uh let, let me rephrase it for you. Sure. I think what you're saying is sometimes we benefit from our missteps, yes, and failures. Mhm. And some of the actions that we've taken even though they did not produce the result that we wanted to take. Yes. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. What I'm saying is that those aren't necessary. And in fact, even if they are necessary, mm-hmm. even if they were necessary, the real change happens af- only after the understanding. Oh, I saw the glimpse of the sunset. Now I have the understanding. Yeah. Now I know what to do. Yes. And I, don't, I no longer need the instruction manual. I don't need your advice anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't need, I don't need massive action even. Yeah. Because as soon as I have the understanding... The how takes care of itself. Yeah, like you know the massive action to take. Yeah. It's uh, the only reason I'm saying this is that I I don't want people listening to this to get caught up in the understanding. You don't have to necessarily fully understand something before you take the action. Now, I think you should have a baseline understanding before you take some. But I, uh, people get caught up in the how to. Mm-hmm. And that's really, I think, a lot of people will interpret the understanding as the how-to. Yeah, I'm not prescribing understanding to you. In fact, it'd be impossible for me to do that, right? Mm-hmm. What I'm simply saying is open your eyes, metaphorically, and, and it, not, not prescriptively. Yeah. And but once you have a deep understanding, the, the how-to takes care of itself. Yeah. You, massive actions take care of itself, absolutely. You're not going to need the... And by the way, I can give you... And at that point, when you have an understanding, then I can give you some of my understanding as well mm-hmm. based on experience. So you can get some of the mechanical stuff. If I show you how Marie Kondo folds her shirts, sure. then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, that, that method is really helpful. But it's only helpful once you have the understanding. Yeah. If you don't, you'll be like, why the hell am I folding my shirts like this? Mm, yeah. Without that understanding. It, but if you have the understanding, it's like, oh, okay. Then mm. we're talking about incidentals. The the We're talking surface details. No problem. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with the how-tos and the prescriptions then. Mm. But they get in the way if we don't first have the understanding. Yeah. And th- that's, that's, uh, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. I, yeah, we are on the same page, just a different book. No, I'm kidding. No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Well, you know what, Ryan? We have some bad advice here. We were talking about, I brought up the fake it till you make it thing. Yeah, so on the minimal episode on Tuesday, mm. uh, the, someone asked a question about yeah, or, or the, but the bad advice thing. And we're, we're, we're talking about bad advice right now. And Sean has a bunch of podcast. Sean has a bunch of surprise bad advice. But one bit of bad advice was um, fake it till you make it. By the way, this is all perspectival. So th- these are what people wrote in and said was, was bad advice. And, and yeah. we sort of agreed and disagreed about the fake it till you make it thing. 
But yeah, I wanted to. Uh, uh, this just goes back to the double sided coin thing. But on page sixty, there is of this uh, whatever you think think the opposite book. It's titled "Call Yourself an Artist," and the reason why, like I, I'm not even going to read that chapter, but. Um, call yourself an artist. What they're saying is, is they're saying fake it till you make it. Now, faking it, um, the denotation of that word would be, would be saying, hey, be inauthentic. Mm-hmm. Where the connotation for me of the fake it till you make it is, you know, act as if. Yeah. Because we all, I mean, when we call ourselves the minimalists, my biggest hang up with that name, the reason why I really didn't want to call ourselves the minimalists yeah. is I felt like a fraud. And it's not, it's not the sense that I wasn't a minimalist as much as how can, how can I call myself one of the minimalists? Sure. We're now 10 years into it. It's like, you know, I, I, I feel very confident with that name, mm-hmm. not because I feel like one of the minimalists, but I have, I have come to peace with like, Hey, look, like I am being, uh, I'm being as authentic as possible. It's just a name, mm-hmm. I, you know, and I could sit here and unpack like why I don't feel like a fraud anymore, but even Chris Brogan, you know, he talks about how just any artist goes through that. I'm a fraud stage. So I don't agree with that, but go ahead. Uh, okay. Okay. I mean, I don't feel that way. I've never felt that way. Um, let me think for a second. You, so you in the corporate world, mm-hmm. when people ask, what do you do? Yes. You never told them that you're a writer because you, you didn't feel like you were a writer. Well, and it time, wasn't at the time I wasn't a writer. It wasn't until it wasn't until you got comfortable with, Oh, like I am a writer because yeah, you, you were, you were writing, but you, I was an aspiring writer and I didn't really write. And that was the problem. Yeah. And so like, I would I would have felt inauthentic to say I was a writer when I was 22, right? Right. Now I I did tell people at the time, like a, a few people, not a bunch, mm-hmm. because I realized what kind of scorn you got from it. But mm-hmm. like I I told people I was aspiring to write a novel, mm-hmm. uh, and I didn't necessarily say that way. But like I, I would tell people like I want I've been working on this thing and I, I'm trying to write more and mm-hmm. and and like but i wasn't doing it every day and so no of course i i would have felt like a fraud mm-hmm. if i would have said yes i'm a writer i'm a novelist yeah right sure yeah and now here's the weird thing i don't even call myself a novelist now i've written and published a novel that sold thousands of copies but uh it's not something that i still identify with necessarily mm-hmm. i'm far less concerned with the noun i'm much more concerned with the verb what i mean by that is i'm much more interested in writing than being a writer absolutely absolutely and and it's not so this almost sounds like i'm contradicting myself because it's like well i thought the doing was the was the problem Mm. it's like well no it's not a solution to anything right the the doing the act of writing is what makes one a writer right and that understanding because here's here's the problem, and here's why we often feel like a fraud. The societal implications of I'm a writer, because when I first started writing, mm-hmm. people would, and I said I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. People would say, well, what, what, who's your publisher? Who, what have you written? Have you yeah. written anything I would have read? Not unless you've read my journal or broken into my computer. Right. No. Oh, I get what you're going with this. It, what you're really saying is where do we compare to each other on some sort of socioeconomic thing or, right. or, or status thing. Right. And, and so, no, I'm not, well, yeah. I, I, I'm not, 
I've never felt like a, a fraud, but there was a time where I didn't feel like a writer. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Well, I guess for us simpletons, <laughs> simpletons like me, uh-huh. sometimes we feel like we're a fraud. And Why? really, let's, it's let's unpack it though. Why sure. do you feel like a fraud? It's it's it, it it. What I was trying to say is going back to calling even now the minimalists. Mm-hmm. I have a different definition of what a minimalist is. Okay. But you know, ten years ago, when we or I guess over ten years now at this point, when we decided to call ourselves the minimalists, mm-hmm. I'm looking at people like Colin Wright, Nina Yao, mm-hmm. Leo Babalta. I'm like those. They're more minimalist than me. How dare I call myself one of the minimalists mm-hmm. when really these people are the minimalists? Mm-hmm. So the definition of what a minimalist was, I felt like I wasn't fulfilling that definition as well as other minimalists out there. Sure. Like now I can look at, I still don't feel like one of the minimalists. Mm. I feel like a minimalist. Sure. But the name... Um, is just a name, mm-hmm. I guess. And I, and I have, you know, I have formed a detente with that. Yeah. And I feel, you know, I feel very authentic. Um, so your question was, is, you know, why do you feel like a fraud? It has to do with the definition yep. of what, you know, I had uh, as what a minimalist is, so, I guess. So it, it, or to say I'm a podcaster. Uh-huh. I mean, when we recorded our first podcast mm-hmm. and, you know, someone's like, well, what do you do? Well, you know, uh, one of the minimalists, you know, we've written a couple books, mm-hmm. um, and we're podcasters. Mm-hmm. Like, at what at what number podcast do you say you're a podcaster? Number one, number two, number three. How how uh, how many? How often do you have to produce those podcasts to say you're a podcaster? Sure. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I do, and I, I agree with what you're saying. That the reason that we humans often feel like frauds it has to do with the societal definition of a thing being the expectation versus the spirit of the thing and when you as you said formed a detente with with the minimalist it's when you understood it wasn't about the definition it was about the spirit of what you were trying to convey yeah. and as soon as you understood that and the same thing with writing podcasting or whatever it, it's it's because if there's a societal definition you have to have a you know a hundred podcast episodes in order to be a podcaster mm-hmm. Well, that's that's definitional and it's prescriptive. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the spirit of it? What does it even mean? And by the way, podcaster could be used pejoratively. Minimalist can be used pejoratively in a snarky way. Yeah. I mean, you and I do it jokingly yeah, all right. the time. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, Ryan has the two drinks right there, you minimalist. Minimalist, right. And, and we do it in a fun, loving sort of way, mm-hmm. but someone else can do it in a way that is cruel. Yeah. And, and so... Yes, the I don't think it's faking it so much as it is appreciating the spirit or what you're calling the connotation versus the denotation. And as soon as you yeah. understand the well, essence of of the thing and you identify with the essence as opposed to the form, then all of a sudden you're like, of course I'm one of the minimalists. Yeah. We're, we're looking at fake it till you make it in different from different perspectives. Sure. Because what you're talking, the, the definition that you're using that you vehemently disagree with is like, would be uh, an example would be me putting on a suit and tie and a briefcase and just walking into a boardroom, into a meeting at some random company and being like, hi, I'm the CEO. <laughs> and they're like, no, you're not. Yes, I am. I am the CEO and I have a presentation for you. And here's my presentation. Sure. And I keep faking CEO mm-hmm. until they're like, oh, he is the CEO. That's ridiculous. Right. It's inauthentic. Yeah. But 
when we called ourselves the minimalists mm-hmm. and we had one essay on our website, mm-hmm. people were looking at us like, who the hell are you? Well, and I'm looking at us like, who the hell are we? But then by, you know, essay number 100, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe we are the minimalists. Yeah, I, and other people are like, oh, maybe they are the minimalists. I think I think other people weren't looking at us like, who the hell are you? And I, here's why I say that. I just did an interview with uh, Cal Newport recently. He has a podcast now. And so I did a, a interview with him mm-hmm. um, for Less Is Now. And he has a new book out called A World Without Email, which I've started reading. And, you know, he wrote Digital Minimalism. And he goes, it's so funny to me because he's so well-respected and he's this uh, he's this computer scientist, professor at Georgetown, yeah. brilliant guy, best-selling books. And he's like, the thing that impresses people the most is when I tell them I know the minimalists. <laughs> and... It's hilarious to me because I'm like, yeah, I, people are really impressed when I say I know Cal Newport. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it depends on what circle y- you're in. But um, he goes, what I found really fascinating with you guys from that December when you launched your website, mm-hmm. it's always been beautiful and inten- intentional. And when you had those 52 readers, it looked like you had 52 million. Mm. And it was because. We didn't launch the website with just one essay. It was 21 of them. It was the 21-day journey, remember? Yeah. And, and it's still on there to, to this day. And there were a couple other essays on top of that. So it was probably 25 different sort of essays. And it looked much more robust than it was. And it looked – because I understood the uh, human psychology. And if we just showed up with a crappy WordPress blog that was not well designed, mm-hmm. it would look like we were faking it, right? Yeah. And – what would give the appearance of of understanding mm. was a if we had some sort of understanding how do we convey that through the aesthetics and now i mean you look at this this is our website now this mm-hmm. is it still looks the, almost the same i'm holding it up for the camera if you're watching mm-hmm. the video version it looks almost the same our website is actually only in paper now <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because we're minimalists. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it still looks relatively the same as it did in 2010 because there was this sort of timeless quality. In fact, during the break with, between minimal and maximal episodes, we were talking about this DMX picture, which I held up uh, during the minimal episode. And we were talking like, if you look at this picture of him, uh, Jordan, y- you can, we, we can show this here. Um, it's the picture. Of, Ryan, describe this picture of him. Sure, it's uh, DMX in what appears to be a oversized rain jacket and pair of pants. Well, yeah, overall pants. Yes. It, it's like he could be a fisherman maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, he could be working on some sort of boat. Mm-hmm. And he's holding uh, leashes on two pit bulls. Right. And he's standing in front of some project building, I assume, in Yonkers, New York. Yeah. Yep. And he's wearing like boots. Mm-hmm. But there's a timeless quality to that. And what I mean by the timeless quality of this is that you could have taken this picture. If you didn't know who DMX was, he's just this handsome man. You could have taken this picture in 1950. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, okay, yeah, I guess this is from 1950. Yeah. You could also take this picture in 2050. Mm-hmm. And it, there's a Blade Runner-esque quality to this. Yeah. Where it's futuristic. And you see this and you're like, oh, it... there." It's eternal in a way. We think about eternal, right, as, uh, you know, we're all busy worrying if there's an afterlife. None of us care if there was a before life, by the way. Right. We're we're not spending any time celebrating over before life, but we're so worried about afterlife because we talk about 
Yeah. Eternal life. Well, what does eternal mean? Eternal just means without time. Right. Well, when do we live without time? Whenever we're in a flow state, a state of no mind, we are living without time. Yeah. We're living in eternity, right? Mm-hmm. And and so when I look at something like DMX or I look at our website, it's like, well, it doesn't conform to a particular time. So when I was talking to Cal Newport, very early on, what he was saying is like, oh, you guys established yourselves, intentional or not intentional, as the experts early on because you put forward a sort of complete package. So if that's what you mean by fake it till you make it, I'm all for it. I like what you said instead of fake it till you make it because it doesn't, it doesn't include the in, inauthenticity. Mm-hmm. Act as if. Mm-hmm. Yeah, act as if. You're, you're, you are the expert. Yeah. What would the expert do at this point? Right. Yeah. How Be, would they live? What decisions would they make? Yeah. Act as if I'm my future self in yeah. a way. To me, yeah. To me, fake it till you make it is synonymous with act as if. But yeah, and that and if, if that's what we're talking about, I think that's great. But well, don't put a suit and tie on and walk into a random boardroom meeting and act like you're the CEO of the company. That's not going to work. Or if you do, film it and send it to <laughs> us. We'll put it on our YouTube channel. <laughs> yes. Can you uh, hand me that water, Ryan? I'd like to get a refill on this water here. Here you go, sir. Can we dive into some of these? Questions. I'm sorry. Uh, Worst advice ever. Yeah, the surprise bad advice from podcast Sean. Okay, so Lisa writes in. Any advice I haven't asked for is bad advice. Woo! That's where I wanted to start. Mm. We're an hour plus into the podcast, and we're just getting started. <laughs> that was the intro, y'all. <laughs> All right. So, any advice I haven't asked for is bad advice. So let's talk about that. That's a re- that's a rewording almost of what you said. All advice is flawed advice, mm. which I, I think is a great, um, is a great maxim. I have that essay here. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's about the advice epidemic. Mm. And what what Lisa's really saying is, hey, I didn't ask for your advice, but we are so caught up in giving it, right? Mm. So the beginning of this essay starts out like this: the urge to convince others is overwhelming. On the surface, it appears virtuous to help, to instruct, to coach, to guide, to motivate. Giving advice gives the impression of nobility as if if we have an obligation to ameliorate the plight of the world, to assist people headed the wrong way, to point them in the right direction. We are all middlemen in the middle of a self-help epidemic. Just look at social media. Overnight experts espousing advice. You should wake up early. You shouldn't eat that. You should embrace chains. Change, you shouldn't get anxious. You should change your habits. You shouldn't wear socks with sandals. Um, so here's the thing. Except for the last piece of advice. Yeah, that one's pretty good, actually. <laughs> let's let's be honest. Although I, all the cool kids now are wearing socks with sandals, I think. Dude, they are. I'm just teasing. And so here's the thing. Uh, what, Lisa, you're saying is... Yeah, it's not appropriate to tell other people what to try to convince them. We hate being convinced. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the most stereotypical examples of that, the used car salesman or the telemarketer, mm. or when you're walking through a mall years ago, remember, I remember the contracts we used to, have to sign when I did leases at malls. When, when we lease a kiosk, there's a clause in those contracts because of. Uh, the pe- the obnoxious salespeople. It's called a no barking clause. Mm. Do you know what that means? Mm-mm. 
So, you know, when you're walking past like a, a T-Mobile kiosk at the Dayton Mall. Hey, look, can, I, can I give hey, you this pamphlet? Can hey, I? what kind of cell phone you have? Right. That's barking. That's barking, yeah. Yeah, and so they have a whole clause in there because people were getting turned off. and They didn't want, didn't want to keep walking through the mall because people were trying to convince them. They're getting barked at. That is the pandemic that preceded the pandemic we're in now. It's the advice pandemic. I was looking up quotes on bad advice. And uh, I'm going to, I have to paraphrase it because I can't remember it directly, but it said something along the lines of most people are dissatisfied with their decisions because they take their advice from salespeople. <laughs> mm. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, well, in fact, that brings us to the next one here. Rachel. Bad advice? Any advice from someone I wouldn't trade places with? Uh, our mentor, Carl Widener, who's actually in the opening chapter of love people use things he once said to me don't ask a man who makes twenty thousand dollars a year how to make a hundred thousand dollars a year and i thought that was so insightful not because of the specifics although that could be true as well we often and it's it's even better uh, a better understanding now mm-hmm. when you look at online and you see all of these uh truth misers and advice misers who are espousing nonsense <laughs> how to get rich quick so this screen grab yeah it was from a youtube video and the title of the youtube video was i will show you how to gain a million viewers and then you look down at the views and it was like 32 views <laughs> <laughs> it was great <laughs> that's exactly it yeah. don't ask a guy with 32 views how to get a million how views. to get a million and then i'll take it a step farther hmm. Ask why you want a million views or $100,000 or whatever it is that you want. I I tweeted this recently. There are two ways to find the thing that you've lost. One, number one is search for it. Mm. Number two is to stop needing it. Mm. And and because as soon as you, I I lost something and I I realized I didn't need it. And therefore I had found it all. I, 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 I didn't need it anymore, so I didn't even need to find it. Yeah. And then by default had sort of found it, right? Yeah. And so I think that is true with with anything that we do. If we if we scrutinize it and then we realize, oh, I do need a, a, a million dollars because the orphanage that we're going to build or- Costs exactly one million dollars. Right. right. Or, or the house I'm going to build costs a million, whatever it is. Right. Like uh, I'm, I'm not saying you have to do something altruistic in order to earn a million dollars. No. You want to buy the million dollar Bugatti, whatever. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. But then question, why do I want to do that? Same thing, why do I want to build the orphanage? Yeah. Under, it, won't you understand that part of it is selfish? Yeah. Even building the, the, you and I have built two orphanages, Ryan. Mm-hmm. And it's great that we can do that, but it also makes us feel kind of good. Sure. Yeah. Of course, yeah. And so there, there is always that component. As soon as we're honest yeah. about that, that's an understanding. Yeah. There's some, there's makes some, it okay. There's something there, uh, there's something pith, pithy with don't seek out the how before you understand the why. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And because as soon as you understand the why, the how takes care of itself. Yeah. All right, so Aaron has some bad advice for us. If you just obey all the rules, nothing bad will happen. Ah. There's, there, you could literally, so before nothing bad will happen, you could put any piece of advice there. And the problem with this sent, this uh, advice is nothing bad will happen. Mm. That, Actually, here, here's... If I were to rephrase her, um, 
if I were to turn this into an observation, mm -hmm. I would delete the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight words. <laughs> yep. You're, bad will happen. Bad will happen. Yeah. And that's the, the DMX thing, right? The, the life is suffering and, and surviving has to do with finding meaning in the suffering. Ooh, let's try Let's see if we can take this bad advice and turn it into a truth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so bad will happen. Bad will happen. Uh, and by the way, uh, if you, if, in fact, here's here's a better thing. We can just delete one word from this. Hmm. Nothing. Delete the word nothing. Mm, if you obey all the rules, bad will happen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, oh, thinking the opposite, right? Mm. If you obey all the rules, bad will happen. But bad will happen regardless. Right. And so rules don't exist in reality. Mm. A butterfly does not have rules. <laughs> Every rule that you've been imparted is a construct. In fact, we even write about and love people use things. We have mm. so we took our minimalist rule book, sixteen rules for living with less, and we gave you radically attenuated versions. They're peppered throughout this book. But even in love people use things, we say there are no rules. Mm -mm. There is a recipe, and these are adjustable. They may not work for you. Mm. And if you follow these as though they are principles, you're probably going to get stuck pretty quickly. Yeah. So I agree with you that that is uh, some pretty awful advice. <laughs> Greg has uh, has some bad advice for us, Ryan. Just buy it. You deserve it. Ooh. How do you turn that into a truth? Oh, okay. Um, oh, you just add the word. Uh, don't. Yeah, you add the word don't, but you got to take out just buy it. You yeah. don't deserve it. We don't deserve anything. I mean. Yes, that's true. There's, there's, I mean, there are. Th there's the truth. Yeah, you don't deserve anything. The um, entitlements that we feel is really. The, the entitlements and expectations we put on ourselves, is it's a cage that we put ourselves in. If, if we have one right at all, I don't believe in rights, mm -hmm. but if we ha have a right is to be left alone. Sure. But even then, we don't have that right. You know, tell, Does a gazelle in the wilderness have a, the, the right to be left alone? Mm. No. They have to run. Yeah. And they do a great job of running away from the cheetahs or tigers or whatever they're running from. What do gazelles run from, Sean? Tigers? All the above. Yeah, okay. So, and, and in fact... Lions and tigers and bears. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but, but I have a right to be left alone. Okay, tell that to the tiger that's chasing you, right? right? And so it drives me insane when we talk about our rights. We have a right to this, uh, the, uh, the right to own a firearm, the right to whatever. It's like, no, 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 there are no rights. Mm. If there is any right... I, I'd want to be left alone, but even that isn't a right. Yeah. And so e at the same time, you don't because of that, you don't deserve anything. Right. Now, we as a society have determined that there are rights within a society so that we don't kill each other, mm -hmm. so that we don't harm each other. Unfortunately, many of the so-called rights that we invent, these constructs we invent, end up harming lots of people, either intentionally or more likely than not, unintentionally. Yes. We harm people because our intentions are really good. And it's the, the chasing the butterfly and trapping it and killing everything beautiful. Yes. Yeah. God, that is like, that is because so, the, the catching the butterfly is a great metaphor. But DMX's version of trashing everything on the way to catch the butterfly, like that's that's really profound. Yeah. I love it. What do you got here? Katie. Put it all in storage. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Put it all in a storage unit and sort through it when you have time. 
<laughs> wow. So think about this. A storage unit is simply buying a second apartment that mm -hmm. you don't use. Uh, it's a cheaper apartment quite often, although not always. What, who was it? Who, who was the gal who was spending 10000 a month on storage, Sean? Tori Spelling had wow. amassed so many things that she was spending ten thousand dollars. You, you could buy a multi-million dollar house say, you know for any, ten thousand dollars. You know how many mansions <laughs> you could have in Ohio? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, um, six or seven. Right. Yeah. Um, so, or no, not that many, but, but four. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so it, ten thousand dollars a month. You're paying for housing for stuff mm -hmm. you are housing your stuff why are you concerned about the well-being of your stuff mm -hmm. of course that's bad advice how do we make this a truth put it all in storage and you're wasting your money mm -hmm. now um that's not always true either right because sometimes a storage unit can make sense for a attenuated period of time or sometimes even for you know uh, i think of uh, the lacma the LACMA just reopened recently, although they tore Ooh. down one of the big buildings, so it's not the oh, full they LACMA. Oh, they're, they're re they're, oh, my God. It's going to look gorgeous. The, the I think it's not going to be done for five more years, but the it's going to look stunning the way they're redesigning. Anyway, they have storage. It's on-site storage, but they pay for it. It's their own building, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Now, it's because they're curating art collections, and they're moving things in and out, so they're actually using the storage space. Yeah. What are we doing? We're utilizing the storage space. There's a difference between using and utilizing. Utilizing something means to use something other than for its intended purpose. And storage is so that I can keep stuff there and I can go get it when I need to use it. That's the aspiration of it. But mm. usually you've had stuff in storage. Yeah. What do you do with it? It just sits there. Yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a just in case plan with it and I set a time limit. If that just in case didn't arise, then here mm -hmm. is the date that I was going to get rid of stuff. Right. So what's the truth behind this? Um, maybe it's just sort through it. Well, yeah. I mean, what does that even mean, though? Sort, sort through it. And so... Well, it uh, means like instead of buying the storage unit, instead of waiting till you have time, like if, if you have a deep understanding of, of the problem, which is clutter, then you will sort, you will sort through it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so putting off... Uh, putting off the problem only makes it worse there's mm -hmm. a truth there yeah right yeah. and so it, i think what we do the the out of sight out of mind becomes the new problem right because mm -hmm. it's not actually out of mind it's deep-seated into your psychology you know it's out there when you had that storage locker the reason you had to put an end date on it is because you knew the the true cost of the thing so right. the true cost of the thing go and and that's another truth here the true cost of your storage unit it might cost you 200 bucks a month for mm -hmm. that storage unit but it's also costing your freedom your time your energy it's misery mm. man that is the true cost of a storage unit yeah Corey has some bad advice my brother's friend told him to buy a house at the top end of whatever amount the bank was willing to loan because of his cost of living raises at work. So I was given the same advice, by the way. Oh my God. That's unbelievable. Just whatever the bank will give you, take it. Yeah. And eventually work your raises at work will make up for those payments unless you get laid off. Unless you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, like there's no, there's no uh, such thing as job security. We've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. We've written about that. We've talked about it. So, Buying a house based off of the promotion you're going to get three years from now or the raise you're going to get three years from now, um, that I agree that's some pretty horrible advice. 
Yes, and and also what you do here is the misunderstanding here is that you're going to get what you need based on what a bank says they will give you. And so you're mm. assuming what you need that you always need more because if the bank's going to give me a million dollars, then I'll buy a million dollar house. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that, but if it'll give me 10 million, then I buy a $10 million house. This is what we did in 2008, up to 2008, I should mm -hmm. say. It was just trust. Oh, the bank isn't going to let me the bank isn't going to let me put myself in over my head. No, home ownership's a right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Mm. Crazy. That's wild. Liam has a... Uh, Finance things to improve your credit rating. Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Because that there that is true that your credit rating will not improve. So that part's not true. Mm-hmm. It, your credit score will go up if you finance things. That That's the truth. Yes. But that presupposes you need a credit score. Right. There is no such thing as a credit score. It is only a debt score. It has nothing to... Dave Ramsey's credit score is zero. It's non-existent. And mm. well, why is that? It's because he doesn't ever take on debt. The first joke I made to him last year when, we, when I went to go interview him because I was in his new headquarters, mm. it's a $40 million headquarters i think mm. uh, it's an obscene building but they use every inch of it and it's it's the most actually it's not obscene in, in the sense that it's overdone it's the most intentional space i've been in because why well my joke to him was as soon as i got there i said oh what'd you do get like a 40-year adjustable rate mortgage on this place yeah like what's the mortgage payment on this place yeah none right and, and because it's none every dollar is allocated in fact, when someone comes in for an idea for a show or they want to do some sort of new event, mm -hmm. they have to do an ROI on it mm. because it's like, well, what's the business plan here? Because we're not going to go into debt. We're not going to take from one thing to fund the other mm -hmm. here. And so it has to have some sort of return. And the same thing with their space. They didn't just go to the, hey, bank, well, how much uh, can we, how big of a building can we get? Yeah. No, it's like, wh what do we need? And then we'll raise the money we need in order to make that work. And so- that's thinking the opposite now. Yeah. That's weird though. That shouldn't be thinking the opposite. Right. We, when we go to a bank, I understand the need for a mortgage. I'm not opposed to getting a mortgage if no. that's what you want to do. Right. I hate debt. Yeah. But, uh, but even if I did go get a mortgage, I, I, I wouldn't go, hey, how much can I get? Right. That's, that's setting myself up for misery. Yeah, may, so maybe to make this a truth, Liam, uh, Liam's uh, bad advice, make it a truth is you just add the the word never. Never finance things <laughs> <laughs> to improve your credit rating. Yeah, because the real improved credit rating is not needing the credit rating in the first place. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what my credit score is. I don't care. And by the way, when I rent a house or an apartment or condo, like we're in a condo right now, mm -hmm. and when I rent that condo, I, I don't, I don't need a credit score. Mm -mm. You, what do I need? I need to prove that I can pay for the place that I'm living in. Yeah. Now, what's worse than no credit score? A terrible credit score. Yeah. Because that just means that you had debt that you weren't paying. You weren't keeping up with your obligations. Yeah. But for me, like, I don't have any sort of debt. Uh, in fact, I own a house in, in Dayton. I don't mm. have a mortgage on it. Mm. And so... Uh, I you know, houses are relatively relatively inexpensive in Dayton, so I I bought a house there, 
and paid cash and I didn't do a mortgage mm-hmm. and in understanding that I didn't want debt and it was just a way to diversify my retirement savings and I so I'm not I'm not worried about um my credit rating for that. I didn't need a credit rating to buy a house is my point. Right. I needed money to buy the house. Right. Credit rating is a proxy for your ability to be able to pay in the future. Mm-hmm. As long as nothing happens ro- badly over the next 30 years. Yeah. Well, we just wow. already said that bad will happen. Imagine taking out a 30-year loan that is predicated on nothing bad happening. Yeah. Woo. Wow. Amy. Never turn something you love to do into a career or you'll start to hate it. You know, it's interesting. Mm. This is the truth to this bad advice is if you only do what you love for money, you'll start to hate it. Mm. Yes. So it's okay to turn, you know, what you love to do into a career um, if it works out. But if you, if you only do what you love to make money, you're you're, you're going to start to resent it at a certain point. If you ha- here, here, here's a truth for you: there are no absolutes, so maybe there's an exception to that rule. But if you have ahead. to do what you love, you'll stop loving what you have to do. Yeah. Podcast, Sean, tweet that, tweet my friend. That. So I think there's a truth in that. Joy has a I read a the, bad piece of bad advice. I read this one in the minimal. Uh, it's a good thing to always have some debt in payments. There, you know, you just. Just take away any always because there's nothing that's always. There's nothing. I can't think of any absolutes that well, are absolute. I, here's, here's an absolute for you. Hmm. There's no such thing as good debt. Now, here's what yeah. I mean by that. Right. We have to unpack it because if we don't, people will say, think that I'm saying all debt is bad debt. Right. Because Maggie down here, her uh-huh. bad advice is never have debt or use it to build credit. That's her bad advice. Yeah. And so let's let's talk about both of those at the same time here. So- Either one of these, when they become prescriptionized, when they become advice, mm-hmm. then I agree with you. They're flawed advice. They're bad advice, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when I say there's no such thing as good debt, what I mean is like it's not morally good to have debt. We're, we're sometimes told by mm-hmm. banks and corporations and employers and house builders and realtors, oh, yeah, yeah, just get a mortgage, mm. as though that's what we're supposed to do. No matter what kind of debt you take out, it's going to weigh on your mind. It's going to be a tether. It's going to be a tether. Mm-hmm. So that's what we mean when we say, and, and when Dave Ramsey says, there's no such thing as good debt. Are there some debts that are better than others? Yes. You look at a very rich man uh, like Mark Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. and he took out a 30-year mortgage on his $20 million house. Why did he do that? Because $20 million just sitting in index funds mm-hmm. is he's going to make more money on the interest That's true. than uh, the interest that he's going to end up spending by the time he pays off that house. And even if he didn't, if the market crashed and went to zero, he could afford the $20 million That's loss. That's exactly it. Yeah. And so it's play money for him. So is his debt good? No. no. Is it a, is it a financial, um, does it have uh, potential financial benefits? Yes. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't make it good. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that, that's the thing. In fact, for him, it may make more sense for him to have that debt in his situation. Mm-hmm. But even if I was in his situation, there's no way I'd, ha- I'd take on that debt. No. And, and here's why. Because I don't want the burden, the psychological burden of having any debt whatsoever. Yep. I want the, because tranquility, freedom, 
piece is more is worth more to me than a few extra percentage points in my retirement account. 100%. Autumn, do more, work harder, do better. Hustle culture is built on bad advice. I think so. The, when her part is a truth, there, uh, mm-hmm. hustle culture is built on bad advice. Yes. Um, do more, work harder, do better. This is exactly what we talked about with the the essay. Changing your life won't change your life because mm-hmm. hustle culture is predicated on just do something, anything, do it now, hurry, re, uh, work harder, get things done. Yeah, get things done. It's fine to do things, whatever. Right. But without an understanding, you're sprinting at if, as fast as you can headed eastward and run wondering why you're so exhausted do more work harder do better run faster yeah right i haven't seen a sunset yet you know what ryan you haven't hustled hard enough yeah javier better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it <laughs> well 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 i've never heard just in case put in so many words <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> yeah I, I i do remember hearing this and um what if we were to flip that around we either think the opposite mm. better to need it and not have it than to have it and, and not, not need, need it. it Ooh, yeah it, there's it, there's that's actually that's my truth at least because here's the thing if i need it and i don't have it then I'll figure out how to get it if I actually need it. Yes. But the things that I think I need usually aren't the things I need. In fact, they aren't even the things I want. Yeah. Emily, you just need to relax. It's not so easy for those of us with anxiety. It's absolutely... Try to tell a bear to relax. (laughs) (laughs) Just relax, man. Whoa, you are stressed. Yeah, or or, or sort of any other emotion (laughs) here, right? Yeah. Um, Because... In fact, Kira here at the bottom says, stop feeling, insert any emotion here is mm. the bad advice she's been given. Yeah. Because I like the way that Emily phrased this, Ryan, because she didn't say, I'm an anxious person. Mm-hmm. What did she say? She says, uh, it's not so easy for those of us with anxiety. With anxiety. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe here's another way to say it. Uh, I, as a, I in quotes, mm-hmm. or me, me is experiencing anxiety i'm setting aside the me it's like i'm being the experiencer here Mm -hmm. of the person doing the experiencing and saying ryan is i'm not saying ryan is anxiety Mm -hmm. i'm saying ryan is experiencing anxiety in this moment anxiety is arising right you're not that not that you are anxious yeah And, and so once you've understood that then there, there's a truth there. And for me to tell you just to relax, that's like me telling you to not think about a purple elephant. Right. All of a sudden now you, okay, go ahead. We're going to pause while you don't think of a purple elephant. Ready? Yeah. Go. Not going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, the, the thing here is it's not about just relax. Now there are some tactics here that can be really helpful for the mechanics. We can, we can say, all right, if you really want to relax in the moment because you're stressed, this isn't going to impart lasting change in you. We can do all this together. If we breathe in for four seconds and out for four seconds and we just do that for a little bit together, let's try it right now. We will feel more relaxed in the moment. Here we go. All right, do it again. One, two, 
three, four, and out. Two, three, four, and in. Two, three, four, and out. Three, four. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. I'm a little bit calmer. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't about advice here. Mm. And that isn't going to make you not anxious in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. That's where we get caught up. We think that if I just do this, now I'm not anxious anymore. No. Anxiety will arise. And we have an understanding that I'm not anxious, but it's simply arising within me. Then I can simply pause. Pausing isn't even doing something. It's mm. when we stop doing something, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Catherine has some bad advice for us. Girls are often told, he teases you because he likes you, or he hits you because he likes you. Oh, God. No, that's abuse, plain and simple. Of, I, mm. I don't think the teasing part is necessarily... I mean, Bex teases me all the time. I don't think yeah, she's I, abusing me. I tease Mariah all the time. Um, yeah, but you hit her a lot, too. <laughs> so. That's not true, but you know what's funny? little kids do this though. So I'm not saying that it's okay for little boys or little girls to tease or hit. No, it's not okay. Yeah, not at all. And, um, and so so here's the thing. It is abuse plain and simple. I, I do agree with that. Well, um, maybe, maybe. But there's a flirtatious thing that I have with Mariah where like I will, like when she, <laughs> in the mornings, go <laughs> gets so cute. Mm-hmm. She has like this, she has like a kind of a deep voice. And so like I'll make her laugh and it's like uh, her laugh, it sounds like, and it's hilarious and i tease her about it and we laugh because she knows it's silly and it's funny Uh um but i don't just like tease her for the sake of teasing her well i mean you do tease her for the sake of teasing her and certainly don't hit her no of course not (laughs) well uh, well let me just say this with Bax, i slap her on the butt at least 30 times a day oh yeah that's true and i do that because i love her yeah um and uh, actually that's not why i don't do it because i love her i do it because i i am flirting with her um i I can love her without slapping her on the butt but um and she enjoys it there's an understanding there and Mm. you you, uh, you know what you're absolutely right that it is abuse if a little boy goes up and hits a girl and vice versa if a girl goes up and hits a boy or a boy hits a boy a girl hits a girl or you know a non-binary person hits a non-binary person it is abuse yes there are contexts in which it is not obviously mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what what's the context it always has to do with consent that's what you and I are talking about here the reason you can tease Mariah is you have her consent to tease her otherwise it'd be really really mean yeah uh, imagine if you were just uh went around and teased everyone you had never met yeah you just start picking on the people who were out were in a co-working space temporarily by the way we're moving into a new studio soon thank you patrons for making that possible yeah. um but you just went out there and, and the men and women and you just started ah, and start poking them and oh nice shoes look at those it's because i like you yeah and and, and it's you would that you don't have their consent, Ryan. No. And so I actually made that mistake in high school. Like I had this thing where with with uh men specifically that I wanted to be friends with that I really didn't know. Mm-hmm. I would st- I would start teasing them. Like um cuz that's, you know, that's how guys joke around, right? Like especially especially in high school, yeah. And like, there's a couple times where busting each other's balls, we would call it. Yeah, exactly. And there were a couple times where like I accidentally picked fights <laughs> because I was like trying to have this camaraderie, and yeah, I had to learn that lesson the hard way. Yeah, that, that can that can backfire on you. And so, yeah. the, I think the truth here is uh, consent is compassion. 
Mm. Yeah, but then if you have their consent, teasing is actually another way to be compassionate with someone, right? Uh, it, because mm. let's not call it teasing. That has a, a negative connotation. Yeah. Joking with. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because when you have their consent, you're actually not teasing them anymore. You're now joking with them yes. instead of joking at them or about them. Yes. Like Mariah teases me right back sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bex teases me constantly. <laughs> and it's funny because she doesn't have my same sense of humor. And so, like, it's like it's like she read an instruction manual for teasing. <laughs> she looks at my shoes and goes, what are those? <laughs> like the cadence a bit off, Josh, but okay, man. get ready for some teasing in three, <laughs> two. <laughs> what are those? <laughs> Danny writes in her bad advice. Student loans get you a great education. Worth it for a pedigree degree. Yikes. So hmm. le- so pedigree degree is a fascinating I had to term ask Sean here. what that meant. So uh, a pedi- pedi- pedigree degree just simply means that like a prestigious yeah. degree. You know, I went to Harvard or I went to Yale. And, and okay, you might be able to get a solid education in one of those places. You can, in fact, you can also do it without debt. Mm-hmm. Is, ha- let me ask you this. Has anyone ever gone to Yale without debt? Yeah. Of course. We have two friends who went to Harvard without debt. All right, there you go. Yeah. And so is it possible? And yes. And so y- the, the, the reason this is bad advice is it presupposes in order to get a pedigree, pedigree degree, I need to get debt. Mm. Well, there are two problems with that. No, you don't necessarily need to get debt. And here's the question. Do you need the pedigree degree? Maybe for doing what you want to do. Well, yeah, if you're going to be a brain surgeon. Yeah, but do you need it from Harvard? Probably not. No. I, I don't I don't care. I don't know where my I mean, I know where Doc Green went to school because mm. he, he talked about it on the podcast he, yeah. and he he did a residency at the Mayo Clinic and he went to Dartmouth and, right. and uh, but um and he's our doctor, but like but really, we're, he's our doctor because he's a good doctor, not because of where he went to school. Exactly. He, he could have gone to Ohio State. Right. And he'd still be the same person. Yeah, but if he went to Michigan, I wouldn't talk to him. Of course not. <laughs> it's absurd. Anything. Uh, this Who's is from, this from? From Sarah. Anything coming from my father-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait. It, what, so, it's, hey, hey, Sarah, what kind of, what's the worst advice you've ever been given? Anything coming from my father-in-law. <laughs> you know, can't argue with that. So here's, uh, the, the, I have a problem with this because it presupposes anything that he says is, is bad wrong, advice. Right, right. Now, it's going to be, if it's advice, it is flawed, right? We've already talked about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But let's, uh, let's go into some of the examples she provides from her father-in-law. The two examples she provides are uh, don't buy a house and don't ever take on a job with any responsibilities. Don't ever take on a job with any responsibilities. Well, that means that don't ever take on a job. So yeah, exactly. Talk, like that's the whole point. We're going to do an mm-hmm. episode about responsibilities at some point. Cause I've been thinking a lot about this. You and I were talking about this weekend. We were going for a walk mm-hmm. and um, think about responsibility, mm-hmm. right? It, all it simply means is re- ability, response, ability mm-hmm. to respond, mm-hmm. response, ability to respond, ability, Ability to respond. So, wait a minute. If you're in a job, you always are going to have to respond to something. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of a job. Yeah. And so, really, what you're saying is, don't take on a job. Well, what kind of now? I can understand that because 
I wouldn't ever take another job. Right. Y- you could, in fact, you could say, Josh, you have to go. You have to choose right now between being homeless and taking a job, and I would be homeless, and I'd quickly figure out how to not be homeless. Right. Because I'm, I'm not going to work for anyone ever again. I'm not advising that. That'd be terrible advice. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying, with my understanding, I have understood how much that would disrupt my peace m- more than figuring out how to not be homeless. Yeah. Um, so I, when I, when I think about the advice her father-in-law gives her, don't buy a house. Okay. I mean, um, maybe here's the, the, the Derek Sivers advice to that is, is not advice. It's an observation. Renting your home is purchasing the ability to leave whenever you want. Someone wrote on community to us, you guys talk about how having a 30 year mortgage is bad and renting is better um and then they went on to describe why a mortgage is better for them and i'm like we've never said that no no you you're saying that's what we're saying right exactly that's what we're saying yeah i mean i mean it was it was pretty funny because i just yes there are advantages to renting there are advantages to having a mortgage uh i don't plan on living in la for i don't know more than five years like I, that's kind of where i look at it uh with a home are you going to live in that place for more than five years Great, buy a home. But if you don't plan on staying there for five years, probably not the best decision to make. Now, what if, or if you don't want to own a home, then don't own a home. And all of this advice is flawed, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so here, here's the observation for you, right? Mm. Renting is buying the ability to walk away. Yeah. Now, that's not a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe you don't want to walk away. Mm. But. Owning a home is a type of tether. Even though I own a home in Dayton, Ohio, it's a rental property, it is a type of tether because mm-hmm. there's maintenance and upkeep and taxes and all of these other things. And so in a, in a weird way, that diversification of my retirement, in fact, I've been th- talking uh, recently about maybe selling the house because mm-hmm. I don't want that uh, additional tether. And so understanding that for me is is also understanding that like, oh, if I let this go, I get an additional piece of my freedom back. Yeah. It's not the right thing to do. It's not the wrong thing to do. Mm. It's simply understanding what I want. Yeah. Deb writes in, my husband told me I need to go back to school and get another degree for a career I didn't want. I told him I didn't want it, and he said I was wrong. Hmm. Wow. Can you imagine if, uh, if Mariah came to you and... Well, actually, you went to her and you said, hey, Mariah, you're really good. You're going to have to go back and get a master's degree. Mm-hmm. And um, you're going to have to take this career in banking. Mm-hmm. And, she, mm-hmm. and she came to you and said, but I, that's, not, that's not really what I want. Mm-hmm. And you were, well, yeah, but Mariah, you're wrong. <laughs> you don't know what you want. Yeah, and here's the thing. There might be some truth in that. Yeah. Maybe you don't know what you want, but you do know what you don't want. Right. And, and I certainly can't tell you what you want. Right. Yeah. And you, you can't even tell her what she doesn't want, right? You can you can help illuminate some truths. Mm. You can help you can help say, "Okay, well, why don't you want to go back to school? Or why mm. do you want to go back to school or whatever? What do you want to do? What don't you want to do?" You can help illuminate the truth, but telling someone they're wrong, first off, you're back to convincing them. Mm-hmm. How well does that work? You've turned into the T-Mobile Barker in the middle of the mall, but you're doing it with your wife. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. that's awful. So how do we turn this into a truth? My husband told me I needed to go back to school. Nonsense. Mm-hmm. Okay. To, and get another degree that I don't want. Mm-hmm. Nonsense. Mm-hmm. I told him I didn't want it. Well, there's your truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want it. <laughs> yeah. You want what you want despite what other people want for you. Yeah. Boom. That is a truth for you. Mm. Uh, or you desire what you desire despite what others want for you. Tweet that podcast, Sean. Mm. Cowage has a question for us. Learn how to multitask to get more things done at the same time. Well, that's <laughs> just, it's like telling someone to learn how to fly with, <laughs> without being in an airplane or with only using their arms. I mean, it's just, it's not, it sounds good, but it's not possible. Yeah, I mean, here's the, when we think about multitasking, even I, I think of like someone who can juggle really well. You, Ryan can juggle, juggle relatively well, like actual juggling yeah, sure. balls, right? Mm-hmm. And let's say you're juggling four balls at once, and it, it gives the appearance of multitasking. But when you learn how to juggle, what do you learn? Mm-hmm. That you're actually not multitasking. You're, you're task switching very quickly, right? Yes. You're going... One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, mm-hmm. two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And all of a sudden, it looks like multitasking. So even the best multitasking mm-hmm. is quickly switching from one thing to the other. The best jugglers, well, the bu- best jugglers, they learn how to task one thing at a time, and then what happens? You, you've gotten good enough at juggling in the past, Ryan, where all of a sudden, when you do it enough, mm-hmm. you start to enter that state of no mind. Yeah. And no, now you're no longer thinking. It's like tying your shoe. You don't think about the loop over and the pull it through. It's just second nature. and you, It's no mind. You all of a sudden are juggling, not because you're multitasking, mm-hmm. but because you've gotten out of your mind. Yeah. That's what makes it effortless. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think about... The, the best example of me multitasking, which and help me unpack this because it's not really multitasking, but I was a salesperson at the telecommunications company. Um, I'm ringing someone out for an accessory. There's a, a customer that I was helping before them I was on hold with. And then I have another customer who is uh, signing up for a cell phone. So I'm literally doing all three of these things at once. And I did it. And and there was a certain point where one of them was like, I have no idea how you're doing everything that you're doing right now. But it was, there was room for each. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't taking, um, because the idea of multitasking is that you can do everything at once. Um, but really those three separate transactions, they all take the, the amount of time that they take. Mm-hmm. It's just weaving them together mm-hmm. was that state of no mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but multitasking doesn't free up your time. It just, you know, maybe a better, like a truth is like weaving things together, um, is, is more appropriate than multitasking. Look at it like music, right? And so, yes. So so sometimes when you have, when you have a symphony, how, how do you define music, right? It's, it's just, it's just as much about what isn't played as what is played. It's the spaces between the notes that make the notes. Because otherwise, if if mm. you just play a C, C, that's oh. perfect pitch, by the way. Mm-hmm. C, uh, and it's just three minutes of C. Right. Uh, I'm sorry, that was a E. But um, <laughs> a perfect pitch E. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you do that for three minutes, it's not music. It's noise. Mm. The music happens when it's C, E, B, A, B. And, mm. and, and all of a sudden, it's the spaces in between. 
Now, mm. techno music has fewer spaces in between, so it makes a particular kind of music. Techno music is multitasking mm -hmm. frantically, but so is uh, Nick Drake, right? Yeah. Even though it's extremely minimalist music, yeah. you think of uh, Pink Moon. Mm -hmm. Let's listen to a little bit of Pink Moon real quick, Sean. Here we go. I saw it written and I saw it say The pink moon is on its way None of you stand so tall The pink moon and I get you All right, so when you hear that, what you hear is really simple music. Mm -hmm. But it's also him using the spaces in between the notes, mm. the guitar, the words, because the song is just as much about those spaces as it's not. It's like uh, it, it, when you were multitasking there, yeah, you were filling those spaces. But if we're filling every space... And then all of a sudden, it's just clutter. It's noise. Yeah. It's nonsense. Yeah. So the pause is even more important, or just as important, as what is played. Here's a horrible piece of advice from Nancy. What's she got? If your partner doesn't say, I love you, within six months, leave them. Yeah, we all know it's within four months. <laughs> Actually, here's what, crazy. Here, here's what I'll say. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, here, here's what I will say about this. Maybe there is some truth in this. Well, are you talking about your partner in an established relationship that you've been in for years? Or are you talking about like you start dating someone, they're your partner, you've been dating for six months, and they haven't told you I love you yet? I yeah. mean, there's a little bit of information missing there. but uh, Okay, M maybe. But let's, let's just say that it's the latter even. Yeah, um, yeah if I'm dating someone for six months mm -hmm. and they're not comfortable saying they love me... Mm. Um, I don't care about the saying of it, but the question is, I'm going to ask, well, do you love me? There's something deeper going on. Yeah. Do, do you yeah. understand what love is? Because I love you the first day we met. I loved you before we met. And mm -hmm. I, that's why I don't understand. Like people get so caught up in the, those three words. And I think it's because we've been acculturated to believe it's precious. Josh, I love lamp. <laughs> <laughs> love is not precious in that sense that it's, well, here, here's a better way to put it. It's not scarce. Yeah. Right? We write about this and love people use things. It's, it's an infinite resource. Mm. Love is not about, um, in fact, it's not loving to withhold love. Mm. And, and so I'll tell you I love you on a first date mm. and we're not even dating. Mm. I'll tell you I love you and we're just friends. Jordan, I love you. <laughs> he panicked. You should see him right now. He's frozen <laughs> up. Sean, I love you. And, and I can say this confidently, and you're, oh, yeah, but that's different from how you love your wife. No, it's not. You don't understand love if you think it's different from how, it's how I love my life. I'm more affectionate to my wife. I'm way more attracted to my wife than any of you three gentlemen. No offense. Thanks. Um, I, I find that you are attractive. I'm not attracted to you. <laughs> um, 
And and what I'll say is that we confuse love for all of these things. In fact, I brought this book in, in hopes that we could talk about this, Ryan. Mm. Because, uh, by the way, guys, this is just the intro. So we're, we're just getting started. We're almost there. Um, the episode is getting ready to begin here. Yeah. Uh, let me see if I can find this. Ah, yes, 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 yes. This is Anthony DeMello. And um, this is about love. This book is called... Is called. Is it the, the way, way to, to love, love or the way to love? Oh, oh I thought it was way like protein powder. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, you're like, oh, I prefer pea protein personally. Chickpea uh, protein? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> let's see, chickpea protein. <laughs> they do have that. I know they do. Anyway, let's see. Which one do I want to read? Do I want to read this one or the next one? Let's go with the next one, Ryan. Okay. Um, this is called, well, actually here. It's just um, The Mountain of Prayer. Uh, this has nothing to do with prayer, strangely. Has it ever occurred to you that you can only love when you are alone? What does it mean to love? It means to see a person, a thing, a situation as it really is and not as you imagine it to be. Let's just dissect that for a moment. Mm. If you love someone, it means to see them as they are. Mm -hmm. Not as you imagine them to be. Not as you want them to be. And then he goes on to say, and to give them the response it deserves. You can love what you do not, uh, you cannot love what you do not see what prevents you from seeing your concepts your categories your prejudices and projections your needs and attachments the labels you have drawn and your conditioning and your past experiences seeing is the most arduous thing a human being can undertake for it calls for a disciplined alert mind whereas most people would much rather lapse into mental laziness than take the trouble to see each person and thing anew in present moment freshness to drop your conditioning in order to see is arduous enough but seeing calls for something more painful still the dropping of the control that society exerts over you. He goes on to, to talk about here. Uh, let me see here. There is never a minute when consciously or unconsciously you are not attuned to the reaction of others, marching to the drum of their demands. When you are ignored or disapproved of, you experience a loneliness so unbearable that you crawl back to people to beg for the comfort known as support encouragement, reassurance. I think quite often we confuse support with love. We confuse encouragement with love. We confuse reassurance with love. We confuse even caring with love. And these things aren't wrong. I enjoy the encouragement. I enjoy encouraging my wife or encouraging Ryan. But that's not loving them. It's something else. And how do you know it's something else? I'm just going off the top of the head here. But can you love someone without encouraging them? Mm -hmm. Of course you can. Sure. Well, then, therefore, it is a bit thing outside of love. Can you love them without having sex with them? Mm -hmm. Of course you can. And the, is the opposite also true? Can you have sex with someone without loving them? Mm. Of course you can as well. I would prefer to do both. I'd prefer to have sex with everyone and <laughs> love them. No, I prefer to love someone 
regardless of whether they support me, mm-hmm. whether they're encouraging me. Because if I need that encouragement to love them, then it's diminishing in a way. You know, Anthony DeMello talks about how to a tree does not provide shade only to those that it holds in high regard. Mm-hmm. It provides shade to everyone. A lamp doesn't provide light to only those in the darkness. It provides light to those in the light or the darkness. I think when we try to explain love, it ruins it. You're right. You're right. And, <laughs> and so what I'm trying to identify is what love isn't mm-hmm. as opposed to what love is. Because in order to understand what it is, you have to explore it yourself. But, but love isn't encouragement. And it's not saying I love you within the first six months or not saying it within the first six months. You don't have to say I love you in order to love someone. Sure. You don't have to show them love either. That's not what love is either. Hmm. We've been told through pop music that love is a verb. No, it's not. Love is not a verb. Love is not encouragement. Love is not Hmm. empathy or support. These are all things that are fine. But if we conflate love with those things, then we don't truly understand it. So to back back to... We could have a whole podcast episode on that. I'm sure we will. Yeah, because I I hear what you're saying, but there's a whole other... What are we at? Two hours or so. Yeah, we are, there's a whole other two hours that you and I could go back and forth on, what, you know, how those things, I, I could argue how those things are loving. But, yeah, I understand what you're saying. But all I'm saying is uh, I don't want to convince you of anything. I'm simply saying you mm-hmm. you already agreed that, that you can love someone without encouraging them. Sure. And, therefore, they're two separate things. Right. We, we, we're recognizing that. And I'm not saying it's unloving to encourage them. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is you can be loving to someone and you can encourage them. You can't be loving to someone. I mean, by, by your definition, you can love someone. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, okay. Understand the spirit of what I'm trying to say. Yes. Not, not yeah, the yeah. definition of what I'm trying okay. to say here. And so, so what I'm simply saying is when we conflate actions with love mm. and we conflate uh, expectations with love, mm-hmm. we get tangled in a way that sometimes can prevent us from loving. The problem is when we confuse action leading to love when love leads to the action that that's a beautiful that's beautifully said amen andy writes in this bad advice bitcoin sounds like a scam eighty dollars just isn't worth it for a single bitcoin he must be talking about 2000 and like 10 yeah so you got some (laughs) advice and by the way the reason it's only it's bad advice is it was only bad advice in retrospect because there are so many other things where it's like yeah, you know what? We really need to put stock in Betamax. I think it's the next big thing. Well, there's yeah, there's a stock right now. Mm-hmm. We don't know what it is, but there's a stock right now that's going to 10x over the next five years. Mm-hmm. I don't or know what five that's, days or five days. Yeah, I, I don't know what that stock is. Uh-huh. So uh, yeah, I mean it's to this is not bad. I don't agree that this is bad advice. This is yeah, like you said, it's bad advice in hindsight. Mm-hmm. In um, Maybe yeah. that's something pithy for you. All advice is good or advi- or bad advice in hindsight. <laughs> right. All advice is good or bad in hindsight. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and so um, yeah, when I when I think about this, it's like, of course, what what you're really saying here is, I would have made more money had I invested money in Bitcoin, or yeah. or you could have lost that money as well. And so, um, you you I, I personally don't invest in individual stocks. In fact, it we we talk about this and love people use things. It's um. 
I, I invest in stocks, mm-hmm. just like Ryan invests in, in stocks. We, we, we put money into S&P 500, yeah. and that's 500 most uh, thriving companies. Yeah. And sometimes they go down all together. And, yeah. and I've invested in, in individual stocks, and it's a gamble. Right. Uh, am I up? Yeah, I'm up. But I've had plenty of losses. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's again, it's just it's a gamble. So... Yeah and, 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 yeah, and so that's why I say I would even I would even argue that what Ryan does is not an investment. Mm. You just said it's a gamble. It's right? gambling, yeah. And, and so you you almost do two separate things. You do investing by putting money into and then I gamble, index funds, and then I gamble on individual stocks, and right. I have lost big and I have won big. And then when you have the understanding, though, you don't conflate it as an investment. Yeah, and I would never advise. I made the mistake of I had this portfolio uh-huh. that I was I had like tripled my money on in there. So I started telling other people about it, and as soon as I told them, those stock stocks like started to tank. Yeah, it was re- it was really bad advice. Like I will never advise people on investing in in anything at this point, unless it's index funds. That's the one thing I can say is like, yeah, put your money in index funds if you want to play it safe. Uh huh. And you yeah. and even then, it's relatively safe, right? Yep. Because of course, the whole market. And by the way, like what we're all really trying to do is just outpace inflation, right? And because if we, you if you have a hundred dollars, you just keep it in the bank. Mm-hmm. It's going to be worth less and less and less each year. Mm-hmm. As uh, there's no such thing as deflation in the real world. I mean, there are a few instances, but we have we have a fake economy that's propped up not on value, prop, uh, uh, not on value. Right. People get paid for things that are disproportionate to the value they're bringing to the table. Oh yeah. Right, 100%. and so we have a sort of false economy that's predicated on crony capitalism, mm-hmm. that which isn't real. That's it, not the market at work. It's not the invisible hand of the market. No. It's it's pious intention, good intentions that make uh, a lot of people really wealthy, while a lot of other people suffer in the process. We don't have time to go over all that right no, now. No, we don't. But Jennifer has some bad advice for us. Do what you love. That's the that's the good advice. Do what you love. <laughs> the bad advice is do what you love and the money will come. She says yeah. it hasn't. Well, uh, that's – I mean, I agree that if you do what you love, the opportunity for money to follow is there, mm-hmm. but it's not guaranteed. Here, here's maybe – if I could turn this into a truth for us. If you add value to people's lives, the money will come. That's absolutely true. And then if you can find a way to – where the adding value coincides with what you love, then wonderful. Mm-hmm. But that's how money is, is made. It's by generating some sort of value. Now, like as I said a moment ago, it's not going to be commiserate necessarily with the exact value you're adding. Mm. In fact, with, I teach a writing class, right? And it's $600 to take mm. the class. Mm. Well, what's my desire? It's to, I want to provide $2,400 worth of value mm. so you're willing to pay me $600. i am giving you $2,400 worth of value, but you're only paying me $600. So I'm I'm providing more value than what I'm actually uh, getting monetarily, mm. it, but in order to do that, I am what am I doing? I'm solving some sort of problem, mm. providing a a solution to help people understand what the problem is, so they can you know, solve it on their own. Um, what do we have here? Who else has some bad advice for us? Juliet, her bad advice is this: Don't hold your baby too much. That sounds like a '50s song. Don't. Hold your baby too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so well, yeah. I mean, maybe this is this is good advice if taken literally. Like, 
Yeah, don't do anything too much. Yeah, I mean, if you never put your baby down. Yeah, hold your baby enough is maybe the yeah, uh, identify what enough is. And, and so, like, I think what what why it was bad advice is, um, I mean, my God, one of the worst things that we do, and I know from personal experience, we did this with Ella, is sleep training. Human beings aren't meant to be sleep trained. Think about this for a moment. We evolved to have babies by our side always. Mm. Because what happens if you leave a baby in the jungle overnight? Mm, it gets eaten by a python. Yes, it gets eaten by something. Right. And so, of course, the baby's crying its eyes out because it's like, I need my mother. It's mm. We've evolved to cry because I need to be by my mother. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm going to die from a python. Mm. And so, I... I Bex and I, you know, because we followed societal advice, sleep training. Yeah. Let her cry it out. Oh. And that's what we all do as parents. Yeah. Now, had I known intuitively, by the way, all I had to do was step back and and think about it intuitively. I didn't need a book to tell me this. We evolved. The crying is a natural response to we're not supposed to be left alone. It's not in our, when I say supposed, I mean it's not in our nature to be left alone. There's the truth for you in that. Yeah, yeah. Rico has some bad advice for us. Um, before we move on, I think it was Jim Gaffigan who talked about uh, having a child. It's it's like you're you're constantly preventing it from killing itself. Yes, <laughs> like walking off an edge getting a hot pan of water, mm-hmm. falling down the stairs. It's like you're constantly stopping it from from committing suicide. Right. <laughs> it, although, here's the weird thing about that, Ryan. Hmm. What we're doing is society has set up so many ways to kill our children. Oh, right. It, it's like, we. so the boundaries we have to set up for our children are to circumvent the dangers of society. Yeah. Otherwise, there are very few things that are going to kill your child if you follow nature. Right. Because if you follow nature and the child is born Mm -hmm. and you have a successful birth, then you simply continue to follow nature and the child will be fine. It breastfeeds, it eventually eats solid foods that you can feed it. And once it hits puberty, it's out on its own anyway, right? Mm -hmm. And, And... However, now it's like, well, don't play in traffic. Well, traffic is a societal construct. And so, yeah, we had to put out the boundary. Otherwise, Ella will run in the street and play in traffic. Mm. And so we have to tell, we have to save her from that. We have to save her from a hot stove, Mm. which is also a societal construct. Right. By the way, you don't have to save, you never save a baby from fire. Right. Because they know intuitively. They get close to it. It's hot. Right. They don't keep going toward it. Towards the flame. But whether they go toward a hot stove because you can't tell that it's hot until you've touched it. It's shiny and red. Exactly. And so it's always our acculturation that is ruining us, never nature. All right. So Rico writes in, you'll have plenty of time to figure out what to do for the rest of your life. I kind of agree with that. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do for the rest of my life. Well, here's the thing. (laughs) I agree. This is maybe the best of the bad advice. Right. Ooh, maybe that's the title of this. The best of the bad advice podcast. Oh, yeah, that is good. So- when I think about this, how, how do we how do we rephrase this, or how do we find a profound truth in this bad mm-hmm. advice? Well, you have plenty of time to figure it out. No, 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 like like. Well, yeah, okay, we do have plenty of time, but it presupposes we have something to figure out. Mm. There's nothing to figure out. It's already figured out. You get to do whatever you want to do. Life is not a mathematical equation, right? And by the way, if you want to, if you feel the compulsion to do physics or mathematics 
then they'll be plenty of figuring it out there, but it's more about that calling, that compulsion, that obsession that draws you in that direction. Ryan's much more uh, drawn toward physics and mathematics than I am, mm -hmm. and so it would make more sense for you to, to explore in that direction, where mm -hmm. if someone were to thrust upon me the mathematics, I'd be like, okay, like, I'm smart enough that I could figure some of the stuff out, yeah. but I don't want to figure it out. Yeah, we're always we're always figuring it out because you know my twenty year old self wanted to do different things than my thirty year old self, which wanted to do different things for my thirty nine year old self, and so forth and so on. Yeah. So you're you're constantly figuring it out. It's almost like I mean th the society's figuring it out is like okay, you're gonna find a career that pays well enough to afford all of this debt so by the time and to put some money away for retirement so by the time you get to a certain age 60 or 59 and a half whatever it is mm -hmm. you're gonna have a house paid off and you're gonna have money saved up for retirement and then you can finally retire well once you retire now you then you have to figure out what you're gonna do when you retire right and so it's so it's always about now yes and so if if you have the now you have eternity. And and so the problem with the Rico's advice and the reason it is bad advice, even if it is the best of the bad advice, mm -hmm. it presupposes that there is something you're going to do with the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe if I were to change it, I don't know, let's work this out in real time, Ryan. Mm -hmm. You have plenty of time to figure out what you want to do for the rest of your now. Mm. Because the now is mm. always changing. Yeah. And as it changes, as you said, then you'll figure something out. And that's not bad news. It's exciting because the things that really fueled you when you were three years old are not going to fuel you at 43 years old. Right. And thus, had you figured it out at 18, what you wanted to do for the rest of your life, you're probably going to have several decades of misery. Because you're not willing to change. Yes. And why? You decided to fix something. You mm -hmm. wanted a fixed state when the now is simultaneously eternal and ever-changing. Yeah. Kira has some bad advice for us. Oh, yeah, we already read her. Already Stop read feeling that emotion. Yeah. Hilder. Hilder. Always try to be the best at what you do. Mm. So the truth here is... Always try and be your best hmm. at what you do. Yeah, and even then, if you don't, if you want to take the advice out of it, mm -hmm. um, do your best. No, that's still advice. Yeah, yeah, and so, so um, there, there's something about the the desire to do the best produces the best results. Yeah, but if you don't have that desire to be the best mathematician. Mm -hmm. then that's okay too. What do you have the desire to be the best version of yourself about? With me, it's writing. Yeah. Um, and it could be something else a year from now, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's okay. Th there is no compulsion here. A and so when we talk about being the best, it's like, do I want to be the best writer in the world? No, I don't have a delusion of that. Mm. But I do, I do want to be the best writer that I can be. Yeah, like if you are, I don't know, man, like if you're writing 
let's say you're writing another book right now, mm-hmm. like you want it to be the best book that your 39 year old self could write. Yeah. Cause you look back at your, what your 29 year old self wrote mm-hmm. and you kind of look at it with a little disdain or resentment or whatever it is. It's a negative. I see the flaws at least. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, I even do that with love people use things, which I finished at 38. I go back and I, there are parts where I'm like, at some point, I told our publisher because I just turned in the ninth draft, and she's like, "Are you sure you don't want to make any additional?" I'm like, "Of uh, course I do." You know, I'm like, "Cecily, yeah, I want to change every page, right?" But I have to let it go now. So this is me letting it go, right? Because otherwise, I'll keep writing this book for the rest of my life, and that gets back to the uh, figure out what you want to do for, for the rest of your life. Well, eventually, I have to let this go because otherwise, I'll just keep re- rewriting love people. Uh, how miserable would that be to keep yeah. rewriting love people use things for the rest of my life? And by the way then people wouldn't get out of it what I initially intended for them to get out of it in the first place. When you and I sat down and we started asking these questions, which are in the back of the book here. Right. Um, what were these questions, by the way? It was like, um, hey, let me see if I can find this because, ooh, yeah. there's a picture of us back there. Makes me think of the, well, you finish what you're saying. In the well, here, w- what if some of the, our most important relationships aren't with others? Must we first fix ourselves b- before our relationships can flourish? Mm. What are what in what ways are Ryan and I different from our former selves? Mm-hmm. What necessary changes did we make over the last decade? Mm-hmm. Did we have to let go of anything or anyone to move forward? What stories are so personal that we've never shared them publicly? How might those stories, if told honestly, serve the greater good? Yeah. When you and I sat down and asked those questions, that's what produced this book. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, this book is done now. Yeah. I can't continue to change it forever because we do need to move on to the next thing. Yeah. Speaking of moving on. Let's just move on to the next piece of bad advice. Luis. You haven't lived until you've had children. So I'm 47 and I haven't lived? <laughs> mm. I, I, nope. I, Unfortunately, Luis, you have not. I agree, <laughs> I agree with Kapil Gupta on this. Most people should not be allowed to have children. Mariah has this idea where every male must get a vasectomy when they're born. Uh-huh. And then if they want to have a child... They then submit <laughs> a, a uh, you know an application uh-huh. for parenthood. Yes, and if they pass, they will get their vasectomy reversed. Yeah, I, if there was like a, a, I don't know what kind of dystopian future she wants to live in. Well, if there's like a benevolent it's leader, like some tail shit of nature. Like if yeah. if we could go to a god and and and. They really said, all right, I'm turning on your reproductive rights at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, because what happens now is, is we, we don't understand anything by the time we parent. I mean, God, I'm almost 40, man. Mm. And I have an eight-year-old daughter. And I'm st- uh, it's like I'm just now understanding what it takes to parent a zero year old. Yeah. And, and you have a different understanding this when is, she's 16. Yes. This yeah. is how wisdom works. It always shows up after you needed it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My uncle always says that. Yeah. He's like, wisdom is exactly what shows up right after you need it. Stacy yeah. has some bad advice for us. You should have given a cheating spouse another chance. I mean, that's not good or bad advice. It's no. and, that, and that is all advice. Advice is advice. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all a little flawed. Um, well, I know not, plenty of people who have had spouses that cheated on them and they've, gave their spouse another chance and they have a great relationship now. Yes. I've also seen it the opposite where they gave that spouse another chance and they ended up really regretting that. Cheating really can wreck a lot of relationships. I write about this in Love People Use Things Mm -hmm. because um, 
you know, I, well, I'm not going to go too much detail, but because really my first marriage was, was ended because of infidelity. It was at least a, a part of it. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and so of course, it, I think that cheating is a type of murder in a way, not killing the person, but it kills the, the concept of, uh, it, it kills the idealized version of what I thought this was. But even, yeah, but even take the, take the marriage, the infidelity out of it. I mean, imagine if I was, because I could not cheat on you, but I could cheat you. Like all of a sudden, like, oh, I noticed Ryan's been embezzling money. I mean, that's a form of cheating. Okay. Um, it's a different thing, but yeah. Yeah, it is different. But I mean, it is still, it's, what I'm trying to get at is there's a level of trust that you're destroying mm -hmm. when you cheat. So let, let's talk about that. So the cheating is because someone else has prescribed what is cheating and what isn't. Bex and I, mm. we did a whole episode about this uh, on how to love, uh, how to love show. if you want to check it out, by the way. It's a, it's a free public version now uh, with some quickie episodes out there. Uh, you can binge listen now. But the thing that we talk about in the first episode of how to love is we redefined what cheating is. And as soon as you do that, then all of a sudden it makes it virtually impossible for Bex to cheat on me. Mm. So the only way that she could cheat on me now is if she snuck around behind my back. Because so, so we have what I call a cleft relationship. It's like a monogamish relationship. And so she could go be with whoever she wants and we have an expectation. We have some certain standards there. And the only way that she would be cheating on me is if we never talked about it. And, and so you'd have to do it maliciously now. That's not usually why people cheat. They don't cheat out of malice. Like, I really want to hurt this person. That's a type of evil. That's a different thing, right? Yeah. You've cheated on significant others in the past, right? Yeah, but it wasn't with malice. It exactly. Was just, yeah. It was be out of what, though? Lust. Yes. Out of ephemerality. Out right. of pleasure. Right. But what if you had redefined the cheating and so that it wasn't... It, it wasn't... Uh, cheating to go be with someone else well then, I, yeah then all of a sudden it's like oh that's not cheating now cheating is when you are not even doing something with malice it's when you oh. are going against an agreement that you have with someone yeah, the parameters you've set up right and so how do you how do you avoid cheating you change the parameters right you move the property line mm -hmm. if you want more space to roam about the property all right here's our last piece of our intro from Melody. We're finally going to get into this episode, That's guys. right. Maybe if you worked less and you were home more, your husband would come back. What in Woo! the hell is that supposed to Who mean? Who gave you that advice? That is, that might be the, and we saved the best worst advice for last. Yes, this is the worst <laughs> of the worst advice. Yeah, we, yeah, we saved the worst worst advice for last. Yeah, that's crazy. That so someone, Melody, someone came to you and said, maybe if you worked less and were home more, your husband would come back. Now let's, let's say that there's fact, this is factual. There's not truth in this, but let's say it is factual. If you worked less and you were home more, your husband would come back. So what you're saying is sacrifice your values in order to get the thing you thought you wanted. Oh, man. That is the worst advice I've ever heard. Yeah. Thanks for that, Melody. All right, now I'm ready to get into the episode, y'all. Welcome <laughs> to the Minimalist Private Podcast. <laughs> Podcast Sean has a bunch of surprise questions for us as well. <laughs> Patrons, thanks so much for sticking with us uh, throughout this episode. This is another episode of 
The Minimalist Private Podcast soon. We're moving into a new podcast studio. Mm. We found the space. We uh, have begun construction. And uh, I don't know, maybe six weeks from now, we'll be filming in that new space. Yeah, Can't wait to show you. In fact, Amen. you patrons are going to be the first to get a video tour of the space. Stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, y'all, love people and use things. We'll see you soon. See ya. The Minimalists. <laughs>